read you a couple of definitions of Peter Gabriel from, you know, the words that come up most frequently, and you yeah. can tell me if any of them are uh, accurate or if they're just embarrassing and horrible. Um, nearly mad, soulful, evangelical, fervent, emphatic, conceptual, and mysterious. <laughs> When you look in the mirror, is that the way you see yourself, or is that just Absolutely. The <laughs> <laughs> in that order, too. <laughs> um, I don't really think uh, people are normally very conscious of how they are. You just take your little world and yours, yours, yours these windows that you look out of as, as, as home and uh, carry it around with you, and, and it's uh, other people that... Uh, put the labels on. In reading some of the interviews um, with you lately, you're very concerned about politics. Um, I think music that is devoid of, of interest or uh, relationship to the world around it is very empty and shallow. Well, it is that time again. It is pod like a whole time. Uh, what we like to call big time here over on this show. And tonight's subject had a song called Big Time. Um, and that subject is Peter Gabriel. We're going to be talking about the record So. And the person who nominated that is my dear friend, Eric. And who am I? I'm Mark. I am one of your hosts of this thing we call a podcast. I am joined with my other faithful and one of my best friends, I would say that we are practically brothers at this point, and that is Stephen. Stephen, say hello. Downs, I'm unavailable. <laughs> uh, fatherhood. Uh, yes, here we are the, on Salisbury Hill. Time for Peter Gabriel talk. <laughs> a song definitely, it seems, about fatherhood. I'll tell you that. Um, oh, it's definitely that that's a that's a put it on that that's a turn it on and drive your kid to school song. Oh yeah, no no doubt. Um the person who made all of this possible and that possibility of talking about Peter Gabriel is my dear friend Eric. Eric. Hello. Hey there, old funk fingers reporting for duty. Old funk fingers. Oh yeah. Um that is what your wife did call you at one point. I didn't quite understand what she meant. And I didn't ask for any clarification. Um, but before we get into <laughs> going blue, going, going blue, blue this early, I know it's not even two minutes into the show. Um, but before we, uh, you know, go through the history, not too um, in depth, uh, just like our Radiohead episode, we're not going to split this into two where you have to get a history lesson and then an album lesson. Uh, Eric is just going to take us through the history and we'll figure it out uh, as we go, as we always do. Because um, what we do here, we like to catch up with each other. We are friends outside of the show. We're not contractually obligated to be here with you today. Uh, this isn't a monkey's uh, situation where um, we were put together by a manager of some sort. Um, but before we do that, we like to catch up and talk about the things we've been up to, anything on the Newswire, the Bully Bulletin, the uh, Cure Clipboard, um, the... So, boys, uh, I don't have the agenda in front of me, the one that Eric uh, artfully curated. 
Yeah, um, we got so- it. We got the agenda in front of us. Let us save you from yourself. Excellent. Uh, and by the way, you know, back to your going blue a few minutes ago there. If there's ever an episode to go blue on, it's this one because old PG is a horn dog. Horn dog. That is that is a theme in his music. He personifies um, the duality of man. Yeah. Uh, so in the news corner, uh, have you heard about this? Only a couple things tonight. We've only heard about a couple of things tonight. Uh, one to tie it all back to where this all started with Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Fever Ray is putting out a new album. And uh, Eric, I believe that it has the uh, the Nine Inch Nails boys on it. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that is definitely right. So, yeah, Fever Ray, uh, cool band. They have a new album coming out called Radical Romantics. And it's got a bunch of guest artists like um, Olaf from uh, uh, Side Project The Knife, along among other people. But Trent and Atticus from Nine Inch Nails are definitely doing two tracks on it. Yeah, I like Fever Ray, but I don't like The Knife. I'm not a fan of The Knife, which is what Fever Ray is kind of a side project. Like. Yeah, I tried that one too. Uh, too Swedish. Yep, little little Swedish goes a long way. That's what I tell Eric all the time. In other news, this this is this is wild. This is, I'm telling you folks, it's all connected. So on the uh, the last episode, we threw garbage out like garbage. Not to say that that's their pro, you know they're garbage, but. We said, you know what? Let's take them off the list of, of stuff we're supposed to talk about in this never-ending season because we're probably not going to have a lot to say and they're not really a full meal. They got like two albums or three. I'm not sure. And we're going to spend the most of the time talking about Nirvana anyways. Um, and so we replaced it with Peter Gabriel because Eric's, I've been into Peter Gabriel lately, Eric said. And we're like, oh, why not? Peter Gabriel, sure. So then we swap them out and then we roll the the diamond dice and it lands on Peter Gabriel. That was not planned. And then we listened to Peter Gabriel for the next three weeks or so. And the night before we record this, Peter Gabriel puts out a new song. Would you look at that? Would you look at that folks? Peter Gabriel put a new song out yesterday called Panopticom. Panopticom. What'd you guys think yeah. of Panopticom? It got me pretty excited to see friend of the show Brian Eno playing since on that. They haven't collaborated since the album Us. Um, it was good, you know, and uh, they've since released two different remixes of that song. Yeah, I liked it. I listened to it right before jumping on Mike uh, this evening. And um, well, it's not necessarily a uh, four in the floor banger like the song Growing Up off Up. Um, it does have that... Uh, kind of old Peter Gabriel style mixed with a little bit of the new meaning that there is a little bit more of a world uh, music kind of feel to it. Um, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I enjoyed the majority of it. Yeah. There we'll get into this a couple of times tonight. There are times where the pendulum swings too far into sting territory with uh, Peter Gabriel. Not, not often, but he goes there. And on this one, the core, the panopticom. I was like, all right, all right, I get it. So just, but I, I, I enjoyed yeah. the verses. I enjoyed the upbeat part where the, the guitar kind of kicks in. Um, it, it's, it's good. I'm sure the whole album is going to have a bunch of different varieties of music on it. But uh, 20 years in the making, that record. We'll talk about the record that preceded it tonight for a minute called Up. And the next one's called, uh, what is it, I slash O? Is that it? I-O? Yeah, I-O, I guess, for input-output. Well, there you go. And he's going he's gonna to tour, tour next, or this year. And I, I tell you what, 
uh, three weeks ago, I might have been like, eh, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if we got to see Peter Gabriel. But now I'm like looking for looking at tour dates. Um, I, I, I want to go see Peter Gabriel now. <laughs> yeah. So, Absolutely. I've joined, the, as Eric said, I've, jo- I've joined the secret world. So. <laughs> How could you not, That's, man? No. Once you. Let's save it. Let's save it for when we're supposed to talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, never have I been surrounded by one guy's music so much, but didn't really dip my toe in. And then I fell into the pool and I was like, holy crap. Um, all these albums that I always saw in the used section at the record store are actually really good. But uh, uh, that that's the news. And now we're going to plug some things we've been doing. Uh, Mark, we're going to st- start with you. No Star Trek, no Disney. What do you got left? So... um. I do like the audio format, not just in music, but in conversation and in audio book. I I did finish Tom Sharpling's um, book. It never ends, but I had to finish it using an audio book format. And that kind of got me into a mood where I'm now listening. Well, I I finished also Chuck Klosterman's uh, latest uh, album, I almost said, uh, latest book called The 90s. Um, where that's extremely on brand for that uh, writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it does move along at a good clip. Um, and it really kind of goes through the things, of course, that were happened in the 90s, but tries to also offer a different perspective of what we thought was the situation at the time in the 90s, uh, whether that be Nirvana, uh, whether that be kind of the, uh, beginning of the end of hair metal, um, and, uh, things like that, how the early nineties were very, just also still the eighties. Um, and then of course it goes through some of the big things like, you know, Clinton's, uh, impeachment trial and the OJ situation. Uh, so it was good. I mean, it was like a seven hour, uh, excursion, but I, I made it through. Um, and I also recently want to plug another audiobook. Uh, which has been out for a while. And that's the Bob Odenkirk uh, book, comedy, 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 drama. Uh, I'm only about 30% of the way through, um, but it is an absolute banger. Um, And, you know, I finally was able to catch up with some movies uh, after going through what I have been um, embargoed on talking about and catching up with MTV's The Challenge. Um, and that is like catching up, like seeing the new Thor movie that's been sitting in my library forever. Uh, uh, which was technically that's Disney. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was fine. It was good. I mean, I the Ragnarok, you can't touch that one. But Thor, I don't think it deserves all the hate that it gets online. I, um, I don't know why it got hate online. Thor, Love and Thunder was just fine. It was good. It, it was, was fine. It was, it was good. Of, yeah. Yeah. It's better than fine. It was good. It was funny when it needed to be funny. It has some pathos. Christian Bale was a good time. He he chewed yeah. the scenery up. Uh, Eric, did you ever get around to watching that one? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I feel exactly the same way. It had heart. Yeah. Right. It had laughs. Great stuff. And you had a you had Russell Crowe with a ridiculous accent as a Zeus. That was fun. Yeah, I mean uh, that whole uh, segment where you know just a tap and then it blows his fucking you know clothes off. Just something for the ladies to hit pause on. Um, but I also watched um, Emily the Criminal. Uh, it was okay. That's on Netflix. A uh, friend of the show, Aubrey Plaza, um, who's an alien visiting Earth. I like that. 
Yeah, that was good. Uh, nope. And uh, now me and the wife are watching another show that we never caught up with, which is uh, Only Murders in the Building. And that's been a good time. So that's what I've been up to. Those are my plugs. Couple of questions. Uh, you Is the Bob Odenkirk book, you're doing the audio. Is it read by Bob? Sure is. That's, that's yeah. a worthwhile investment. That's- Absolutely. Uh, he's got some good stories around Chris Farley. Uh, his time at Saturday Night Live and how miserable he was and how much of an asshole he was to Lauren Michaels at, in the interview. Didn't get the job in, uh, immediately. And then a couple months later, Lauren actually called him back up. And uh, so there's some anecdotes about that anecdotes about. But he appreciates his time at SNL because it laid the groundwork of actually what he wanted to do with Mr. Show. Um, it's great. I mean, it's written just like you would imagine in Bob's voice. It's funny. It's, you know. Gets a little like emotional at times, but it's good. He knows how to get emotional. He's 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 over the years. He he can when his voice cracks, it brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. Um, and then also the the Sharpling book. So I in the writers' room, I've mentioned that Sharpling is buddies with Dave Win- Windor from Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in the writers' room, you we were talking about how for whatever reason you stumbled upon one of my favorite songs by them, which was their radio hit, the uh, Space Lord song. Was, was there a correlation there or was that just a coincidence? At a complete coincidence, I was uh, riding the dragon and not in the literal sense of riding the dragon, um, but I was having a few on a very uh, long day of work and I decided to put my headphones on and sure enough, just hit shuffle. Uh, Space Lord comes on and uh, it sends me to the moon. It's a great track. I have listened to some of their other work. I think I have listened to that entire album that uh, power trip that record um it's not bad i mean i actually I, it's good it's very good it's like stoner metal uh hard rock um with a little bit of like southern uh, to it and i like that yeah he, he's, he's from jersey but he, he has a little bit of that southern groove doesn't it feel that way it does. I mean, he looks I, like he's from jersey but he also looks like he could be you know related to hank williams jr or it could be one of those desert bands. Strange cat. I like them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I celebrate their entire catalog. If you if you go one further, just the album Lost Patrol. That's that's the one I would suggest listening to. If you just want one other album. It's the one after after. Yeah. I think I've listened to that. That's a good um, one. God Hates You, I think. Was that one of the songs? Or No, 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 no. No, there's a. That's a great album called God Says No. <laughs> that's it. Uh, well, you know, this could have been in the news, but I, I, I did watch it enough to where it's a plug. Did you guys see the Evil Dead Rise trailer for the the new Evil Dead movie that's coming out? I did. Uh, not enough, um, you know, doing one of those uh, Three Stooges preventing from an eye poke um, and uh, not enough hands crawling around by themselves those hands that were crawling around were still attached to some lady that looks, you know, like a crazy banshee, but uh, yeah, it looks good. I mean, honestly, I think that they've dripped dry all of the comedy out of it. Maybe with that, uh, 
a television show that used to be on stars like Ash versus the Evil Dead. I mean, they completely take Army of Darkness and decide to put that thing on steroids. Then I know that they rebooted it. I didn't see the reboot. And I feel when I saw the trailers, it's like, no, this is a straight horror film. Straight, you know, we're not doing any more Three Stooges uh, gags. And then this one just feels like one and the same. But, uh, you know, what I understand about that Evil Dead, that reboot, and like the after credit scene, you see her talking to Bruce Campbell. And I felt that, okay, is this going to lead up? But who knows? Is this thing even related to that is what I'm now questioning. Yeah, yeah. That post credit scene was just a, a groovy gag, a goof. It was a goof. It was a group group. No, I think that the, uh, I don't think this is related to that, that reboot. I think it's in the same universe as the main show, but uh, it does have kind of like, uh, there, there, there are some elements to that new, you know, a lot of horror movies that come out now have like really dark humor, like, uh, and, and, and almost camp. And some of the stuff like the jokes between the mom and the kids, it was like disturbing, but still kind of funny. Uh, I think it looks good. It looks extremely gory. Um, it looks well done. The, the, the Campbell and Ramey produced it. So it's not like they just, you know, gave the license to somebody that not know what they're doing, but I, I thought it looked good. Um, I'll go see it. But in, in other news, uh, I'm, I'm reading an adult book. I haven't done that in a while. Uh, the sirens <laughs> of, of the sirens of Titan by Kurt Vonnegut. Have you got, have you guys ever read that book before? Um, no, I have read some, uh, Vonnegut, of course, like breakfast of champions and, uh, uh, the rest. <laughs> and what is the other, what's the other one? Slaughterhouse five. That's the one. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the re- it's funny. The reason I'm reading it is because I was, uh, I was playing a bunch of resident evil video games and, uh, my seven-year-old called me a nerd and I was like, hey, you know what? Well, fuck you. I've got adult things. And I was like, I'm going to go read an adult book. So that's uh, I grabbed it off my shelf. It's like, I never finished this one. Uh, it's all right. It's good. Vonnegut. It's kind of a, you know, if you were to, I don't know. Uh, it's kind of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but not as goofy. I, it's, I'm not done with it yet. Yeah. So. Well, good. So far, so good. That's good. Yeah. We're all reading now. We're exactly the time of the time of readers. Um, <laughs> and the other, the other thing that I uh, was enjoying heavily is uh, that show, the expanse, the science fiction show, the, the expanse, the expanse, I don't know how you know, pronounce it either way you want. Yes. The X pants, the X pants, um, the, the pants you don't wear anymore. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. The X pants. And it's on i uh, been watching it on prime and I think I said that we should uh, we should all enjoy it. I don't know how much how much of you guys watched of it. I've, I'm up to I'm midway through season two. I just started season two. I've got uh, ten minutes left of episode one. All right. So yeah, I'll we're not that you, far I'll... be around each other. So yeah, you need to slow down, Chambers. No, I, I tell <laughs> you, there's there's a when you guys get done with season or episode five. Shoot me a text because uh, I I won't go into any more detail now, but uh, I th- there were a few times where I was like, all right, this is going to happen now. No, no, it's going to happen now. No, it's going to happen now. No, I went on for like five episodes. 
Um, <laughs> and then something finally happened. That I predicted that I thought was going to happen last season, but I, I really yeah. enjoy it. I like that this, this show does a few things. That a lot of sci-fi shows don't do. Um, it makes this bit like living in space and working in space look painful. Like space travel is not easy. It takes a toll on people's bodies. It, it also manages like if, if somebody does something, there's a lot of repercussions that actually like affect other people. Uh, uh, if somebody doesn't think something through, it's usually screws somebody else over, which, which I enjoy. And I also like that it does a good job of, it has like three separate main plots. You've got, well, in season one, you've got, you know, your Thomas Jane, who's basically the, in a Blade Runner type, uh, uh, space detective thing. And then you've got, uh, our main heroes that are the ones that are kind of flying around space, trying to figure out, well, what's the space mystery with these, yeah, the, the space germ that's going around and a planet that it shouldn't have blown up, getting blown up. And then back on earth, you've got like political intrigue and these are your, your three main stories. And then every once in a while, like every four episodes, all three of them linked together and then they kind of split up again. And I, I like that. And they continue to do that in season two. And uh, yeah, I like, I like the, the acting's good enough for a sci-fi show. I like the fake language that the, uh, the space uh, miners talk kind of sounds like South African or something. Um, I really enjoy it. It really scratches niche for me. Have you guys been enjoying it? Yeah, for me, it's just a show you can really settle into. It's got a really lived in world. And um, yeah, you just immediately just kind of become in, in, embedded in these, in these, in the lives and, and have fun watching them intersect. Yeah, Mark, you're saying it was kind of slow. You're saying it was kind of slow, but I don't think you finished season one. I think it really picks up those last two episodes of season one with all the riots and when no, Thomas I don't, Jane I, don't and then, I didn't say it was slow. It was kind of a slow burn. You know, that was more like I knew something. It was leading up to something and it just kind of, you know, slowly kind of gets there. But you are still kind of invested to see what was happening. It took its time to develop the characters rather than getting right to the um, the crux of the matter. And I knew yeah. that was upcoming, but they really wanted to spend more time on getting the audience more emotionally invested in these characters rather than making it like a full on action thing. That's why I kind of mentioned this is kind of a slow burn. And I don't think that's a detractor. I think that there are shows that do that, do it well. And all the reviews for this particular, you know, series is that it, uh, it's a home run and it's uh, kind of wild that it was canceled on sci-fi and then had to find a new home, um, on Amazon prime. Um, but, uh, Based on some books, I haven't read anything about the books, whether they're good or not, but uh, seems like the show is off to a great start. I like it. Great. Well, we'll keep you, we'll keep you posted, folks. This, uh, this will be your X-Pants podcast. I'm sure there's 40 of them. But uh, yeah, I've, I've been enjoying it. And I, I really like that there's this, there's this big, heavy character, and his name is Fred Johnson. And whenever they're talking about him, they're always they're always like, well, what are we going to do about Fred Johnson? And I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. This guy's name is Fred. And also, they always say his full name every time. Fred Johnson. Oh, my God. How's Fred Johnson going to react? It's just, it cracks me up. And I think that guy was on The Wire as well, that actor. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the same thing. Like, couldn't have named him, like, uh, Axel Moon or something. Like, something <laughs> exactly. that was just. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but yeah, Fred Johnson, that's like a shoe salesman in Indiana. Exactly. 
All right, moving right along. Let's see. So that's it for Plug Like a Hole. You've got some books and you've got uh, some X pants to wear and uh, some more books. So, Peter Gabriel, tell me all about him, Eric. Yeah, sure. I thought we'd start by just doing a quick check on um, how we all got into Peter Gabriel. Um, we've always kind of knew he's been around. Anybody that had MTV in the 80s or 90s saw that Sledgehammer video a thousand times, captivated your imagination as a child. Um, so I knew about him, and my parents liked him. I, they had definitely had the Us album, the Secret World Live album, that, um, and they'd be spinning it on car trips and, <clears throat> and around the house. And at some point, I just took a notice to like the musicianship, to the really great percussion sound, and just the great production quality. And at that time, being like a massive Primus fan, I loved the bass work, and a massive Nine Inch Nails fan, I was drawn to that production. Um, and for me, like at that point, I appreciated him on my own, not just as somebody that my parents liked, and I've been f following him ever since. Yeah, um, I mean, I was familiar with uh, Peter Gabriel when I started really becoming more familiar with music uh, because song Sledgehammer is uh, has always been known as to be the most innovative music video, uh, if not all time, one of the top. I mean, uh, it definitely was a groundbreaking video that uh, MTV played the shit out of and VH1 did. Uh, but you'd also hear that one on the radio. Um and I vaguely remember the song uh, In My Eyes because of the uh, phenomenon of Say Anything, but we'll talk about In Your Eyes later. Um, but I always kind of figured that he was too pop contemporary at the time. Um, I And it's a bad assumption because those are very commercial songs. Um, but I felt that he was kind of in that same league, a little bit of, I mean, I don't want to say cheesy, but someone that um, didn't seem very like the cool kids would like. Um, even though like when you have a, like a great song, you just, you, you love that song. Um, but I didn't really pay much attention to Peter Gabriel until I heard um, the soundtrack to Passion when we were all working at the record store and that's the score to the last temptation of christ not passion of the christ completely different film yeah yeah and you know uh peter gabriel did not want that to even be known as the last temptation of christ soundtrack he didn't want that in the title i mean he was proud to be, work on the film but he did he just wanted to call it passion and peter gabriel has a thing with very minimal uh album titles as eric will get into um but that's where uh, I knew that it was an influence on uh, tools production and, you know, that very world music based. And uh, I actually didn't see the film after I listened to the soundtrack. Um, but yeah, that's my entryway to Peter Gabriel. And uh, in today's terms, I'm ready to etch his face on one of my Mount Rushmore of artists. <laughs> Sorry, Bono. I was wondering. I was wondering who's getting kicked off. Um, yeah. it'd be fitting. They kind of they, they check a lot of the same boxes, you know. Uh, humanitarians raising a lot of money for other countries. Um, really earnest lyrics. So yeah, you, yeah. You, you're gonna 
he's going to still, you know, fulfill some needs that you have. I mean, um, the thing is, U2's string of albums after the one they swept the Grammys with, uh, all that you can't leave behind, it's all just so bad. Not bad, it's just not for me. Um, it's very contemporary rock music that uh, it's okay to play in a, you know, a Mervyn's. And I, I don't want my <laughs> rock music to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, Peter Gabriel hasn't even put anything out since before that album they won a Grammy for. So it's a that's true. It's, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a stalemate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. You know, obviously the Sledgehammer video. I remember very. I watched a lot of MTV at my grandparents' house when I was a kid. Saw it a billion times. Thought it was very entertaining. Um, I got the cassette for so when we worked at the record store. Like, you know, two ninety nine cassette or a used cassette. You could buy it for like two ninety nine after your discount. It's like, you know, ninety five cents. Didn't listen to it much, though. Um, in high school, the really not that good, even though I love Ozzy Osbourne, the uh, Cold Chamber and Ozzy Osbourne cover of Shock the Monkey. Oh, this is at the time I thought it was awesome. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not terrible. It's not that good either, though. But anyways, their new metal version of that song. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a Peter Gabriel song. I hate to interject. And, I, sorry, Steve, but I can't believe that I omitted the fact that Primus covered two of Peter Gabriel's songs, Intruder and Family mm-hmm. in the Fishing Net. And us being huge Primus fans. That kind of also made me realize that Peter Gabriel is more than just Sledgehammer, you know. So sorry. And I, and I, no, it's all right. And I, that's another thing. Like Primus covered a couple of his songs, but I never was driven to go back and listen to his music beyond just owning a used copy of So and hardly listening to it. Um, and I would always, I would always see his albums when we worked at the record store in the used section. All of them, every last one of them. Uh, the, the the album for Birdie. I, I, I could. I've always seen that album cover. Matt Rodin on perched on the bed. Yeah. Yeah. His early ones. Like I remember those album covers too. And I just assumed they sounded like, I don't know what I thought they sounded like, but I never got into them. And uh, yeah, there was a whole world of great music just waiting there, but that's fun though. That's fun to turn 42. And then all of a sudden, Oh, here's a pile of great music. You didn't listen to. Fantastic. But to answer Eric's question, it was mainly the sledgehammer video. I mean, he became a superstar in the eighties and I always liked that song. That video I thought was cool. when I was a kid. And there you go. The Sledgehammer video. All right. Well, then, the next waters we got to test are, uh, gentlemen, how do you feel about progressive rock? Because that's where it all started for Mr. Peter Gabriel. I mean, I do like prog rock, but I feel that Steve is a bit better at appreciating prog rock like if if you ask me who's gonna be a fan of jethro toll um i'm pretty sure steven would be like yeah that's gonna be me <laughs> no it's all about it's all about thick as a brick thick <laughs> as a brick um yeah it's funny you know i yeah i like prog rock i don't listen actually well i've gone on a billion times and i will a billion times tonight i love king crimson but King Crimson are like their own version of prog rock beyond prog rock to me. They're, King Crimson 
is King Crimson. That's it. Uh, they, they they are progressive rock, but they're so good. They're their own universe. Um, I don't listen to a lot of Yes. Uh, I don't mind Yes. I don't, I don't listen to them often. Um, but I know I do like I do like progressive rock. Um, I'm struggling to even think of some other bands right now. But I can There's tell Pink, you, I didn't listen Pink Floyd. You know, that's definitely Rush. Um, yeah, 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 Floyd and Rush are prog light. Um, I mean, they're they're rock bands that have prog tendencies, but they don't go off into, you know, well, Pink Floyd does go off in tangents. I, so, so does Rush. But <laughs> I mean, think the, those are classic rock bands first, prog bands second in my mind. Um, you look at the album sales and then compare them to Genesis or, or King Crimson or Yes, and it kind of tells you the whole story right there. Yeah, I didn't listen. I didn't listen to Genesis much. Um, I mean, you want to go back to introductions uh, right next to the Sledgehammer video. I love that Land of Confusion song in the 80s. Yeah, um, that, that was the one with the weird puppets and, and Ronald Reagan. I mean, uh, Invisible Touch was always playing in my mom's Honda Civic 1985 version of that. I mean, that album was on repeat and i gotta yeah and that was after the i gotta announce there's there's footage out there of the anderson brothers recreating shot for shot the video to i can't dance no yes <laughs> i can't dance that video is ridiculous and that was way after they were not prog anymore they, you know after peter gabriel left they went really really commercial more so than peter gabriel ever did um yeah but and, and anyways I, I like yeah genesis is good uh i respected them before and then for this exercise i dug into a couple of their albums pretty deep and um really enjoyed them i don't know do, do we want to talk about th- their specific music now eric or did you just want to know in general how we feel about prog <laughs> yeah, yeah no 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 we don't have to spend long on genesis unless you guys want to i'll let you take it but um just to kind of recap um peter gabriel met the rest of the members and i'll get to them in just a second uh, at boarding school and um, yeah, I mean, the fact that Peter Gabriel came from so much privilege, um, when you consider all the humanitarian work, he would go down the, 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 the road. I think that's important, you know, to, to remember that past, that upbringing. Um, I think like the uncle of his, or father of his first wife was like the direct secretary to the Queen of England. And then his, like his great, great grandpa or great, great uncle was like for, for 10 years, like some Lord of, of the UK. I don't know if you read that. So he, he comes from privilege, definitely. Right, right. And he, and he met up with Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford at boarding school. And that's with uh, Peter Gabriel singing, playing some flutes, uh, Banks on like keyboards, and then Mike Rutherford playing uh, guitar. And then some other musicians came in and they recorded from Genesis to Revelations. And then in 1970, they made the album Trespass. And that's when they brought in Phil Collins to play drums and then do some of the backing vocals. And they recorded about three more albums, and then in 1974, they were uh, were working on when the lamb the lamb lies down on Broadway, which would be their fifth album, and that's when Peter Gabriel, well, he 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 was done, and he finished the album, but but didn't go on to tour or promote the album. He left the band shortly after. He wanted to spend more time with his family, so yeah, yeah he was done. He was out. He wanted to l- learn more about songwriting and, and and instruments and learning to play the piano and taking all that stuff on. Genesis chose to continue on, and after, you know, some auditions, 
uh, tireless auditions, they decided to stick with with Phil Collins, their drummer, who played drums and and did lead vocals. Anything to add about Genesis, gentlemen? Well, I'll call out one thing about Genesis that uh, I personally enjoyed learning about is how theatrical Peter Gabriel uh, brought this whole stage presence um, on all of their live shows. Some of the costumes that he would wear, um, that was uh, obviously uh, not as surprising, just knowing that Peter Gabriel is an artist. He's not the guy that's, you know, strutting around saying that he's big time. He's able to uh, create this stage persona like in each different album cycle. Uh, so I felt like he was one of the originators um, of creating theatrical conceptual, uh, you know, art when it comes to playing live music. Yeah, I really liked the second album, Trespass. Um, to me, early Genesis sounds a lot like the band uh, Love on steroids uh not sure. as much like a noodly type program prog band but definitely not rock structures but a lot of like a, a lot of horns yeah, a lot of flutes um i i didn't listen to all the peter gabriel albums but i did listen to the first two and uh, i'm told the next two are good but i did spend some time with the lamb lies down on broadway i've always liked that album title and it's just a great album from start to finish I listened to it a couple weeks ago, and then I listened to it again when my kids wouldn't let me sleep this morning at like 3.30, all the way through. Lamb lies down on Broadway at 3.30 in the morning. Probably the the way it's meant to be heard. Uh, I, I just I heard some some shit that I, I, I didn't hear before. Um, that album is the closest one, I think, to mid-70s King Crimson territory. I think they kind of fly close to each other in the quality of the musicianship. On that record. Okay, that makes sense. Phil Collins is a good drummer, man. He's really good on that one. Um, track two and three on that one. Uh, I don't remember the names of them, but they go together seamlessly and they kind of do this medley. It's really good. It gets really <laughs> heavy at times. And it has it's a concept <laughs> album about uh, like a street rat named Rail. And uh, he, he he goes through his life travels and he doesn't really discover himself until he learns to be compassionate for his fellow man or something of that nature. Uh, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I love it. If anybody's going to listen to one record by them from the Peter Gabriel albums, that's the one. And then when they, when Peter Gabriel left, uh, they tried out 400 singers and then decided just to stick with Phil Collins. I, I find that incredibly funny to me. Um, Phil Collins is he's got some good songs and he's he's not a bad singer. But I mean, really, if after 400 people, he's still the guy you go with. That blows my mind. Fair. Phil can do like the Sunny Select version of Peter Gabriel. So we sang with them for a while. Phil Collins ended up leaving the band at some point in 2007. They reunited with somebody named Ray Wilson. Wait, is that right? Anyways, to uh, to record that did not. Um, set the world on fire, but they stayed in touch and Genesis reunited in 2021 for their final tour, final concert ever. And in a touching, touching, in a touching way, there's some backstage pictures of uh, Peter Gabriel there uh, wishing them well. Um, but uh, Phil Collins uh, said it's time to turn it in. And uh, there's a great documentary called uh, Together and Apart about Genesis. Well, there was some drama here and there. 
Um, one thing to be said about Phil Collins is he seemed to be a great guy. A lot of people really in the band really loved him, all, despite all the other drama. Uh, they all, you know, Peter Gabriel, every member, they all they all liked him quite a bit. I, I yeah, it seemed like it seemed like there was some drama, but from what I read, it, it seemed like for the most part, uh, Peter Gabriel was like, you know, if they if they've been broken up for forty years, for more than twenty of them, they've they've been friends. So it seemed like it got smoothed over. Probably because they just all got older, but uh, yeah, because those were his buddies from when he was like, uh, you know, a young man. So I think we can all agree that Phil Collins is a force for good, even if he's definitely way, way in the 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 adult contemporary bins. That that's quite all right. Yeah, but it's like good, good it's good adult contemporary. Uh, it, yeah, like back in the eighties, you're gonna find somebody that has his albums. Peter Gabriel's albums, and then right next to it, it's going to be uh, some good David Bowie albums or Kraftwerk. You know, there's there's enough there's a, a, there's enough uh, B sides. I'm sure I'm not a. I didn't dive into Phil Collins' discography as much as I wanted to, but the Venn diagram of Miami Vice, Phil Collins is in there with a lot of other good artists. So there you go. Yeah, in the air tonight will always remain unbeatable. Um, I, I love that song. So studio is also a fun one. Um, but yeah, in the air tonight, it's memed perfectly and it, there's nothing but respect for that song. I, I think we'd be hard pressed to name more than five Phil Collins songs between all of us. <laughs> I know exactly. Mark's just going to start naming all of the uh, songs with Tarzan soundtrack. <laughs> and the brother bear soundtrack as well. <laughs> Well, sadly, Peter Gabriel only did two Disney soundtracks. So Pixar's Wally, of course, and uh, contributed a track to the soundtrack to um, the film Jungle to Jungle. Oh, God. oh boy. What a- <laughs> hey, the rent was due. Royalties weren't coming in as fast. <laughs> and all it is is it's the song Shaking the Tree, uh, but they remix it and add a Shaggy, a verse by Shaggy. Oh, God. That is putting... <laughs> I like I like that's nuts and like, gum right there. That's a bad song. I don't like that song. I like that. For, I like that for uh, for shake or for jungle to jungle. He went to horn dog territory with shaking the tree. So, uh, open open up your fruit cage. Uh huh. So uh, yeah, Peter Gabriel gets extreme extremely horny and goes solo. From what I can tell, right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, you got it. So yeah, between he goes solo and his first four records, you know, they're all self-titled, and he puts them together as kind of like uh, four parts of the same piece, um, and then he releases them one at a time from 1978 to 1980. And they were supposed to each feel like an issue of a magazine. That's what he said he wanted to do. And if you and he was able to do this yeah, through similar pastiche and sound, but also in cover art. Um, and uh, he called them each, you know, Peter Gabriel one through four, although fans have given them their own specific names, which we'll talk about. Um, and yeah, through that cover art, it, very similar blue filter, um, one individual image um, and all that artwork was, you know, thematically strung together uh, by the art collective known as hypnosis. Hip, hip, hypnosis, hip, hig, no, I can't pronounce it. Hypnosis. Yeah, they did all the, uh, that's, uh, what's his face? They did all the Pink Floyd stuff, right, Mark? You know, that 
Yeah, that's correct. What was his name? Uh, Storm I, Ferguson? I want to keep saying Strom Thurmond. I'm like, no, that was a, like some <laughs> some general. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> no. It might be. He was a senator. <laughs> Steve, you're thinking of the senator who retired at the age 100 yeah. in the early aughts. Yeah. Died still no, thinking he had Storm slaves. Storm Thorgerson. Yeah, he's done. You go, Google him and he's done many album covers that you'll all recognize. So, same guy. Okay, 1978 gives us the first self-titled album. Fans have dubbed this one Car, based on the album artwork. It was produced by Bob Ezrin. And you'll notice that some of these are really mixed bags. He's trying out a lot of genres. Um, some hit more than others. Uh, but this one definitely has one of his biggest hits, Salisbury Hill, which is kind of a good-natured kiss-off song to Genesis and moving into new things in his life. It also has one of his most epic tracks, uh, Here Comes the Flood. Um... But uh, definitely noteworthy moments, and I want to hear what you guys think. All right, who's first? Yeah, it's. Uh, I like that it's Salisbury Hill is, uh, like I said earlier, extremely upbeat song. Not extremely upbeat. It's kind of it's kind of wistful, but it's just it's not as complex as a lot of his other music. And also, it's like you can put it on, take your kid to school. Um, it's not a knock on it. It's a great song. Uh, uh, modern Love, it's not the David Bowie song. It's a different Modern Love. That song's a rocker. Um, got some dirty guitar work from Robert Fripp. And Robert Fripp and Tony Levin are both on this album, uh, who will later both be in King Crimson together in a couple of years in the second version of King Crimson. And uh, Here Comes the Flood reminds me of Roger Waters. Peter Gabriel reminds me of Roger Waters quite a bit. Um some of their vocal registers at the same time. Peter Gabriel's a much better singer, but sometimes the, when they go into like a lower register, they remind me of each other and they're both overly dramatic. Um, and sometimes they both sound like they have like a bite to their lyrics. Uh, Here comes a flood is, is very good. I like this first record. Quite a bit. Before the dawn, they'll use up what we used to be. Um, it's not uh, in uh, my top tier of uh, Peter Gabriel records, but uh, the songs that you had pointed out already, um, Salisbury Hill. I mean, that song is just an uplifting uh, song that uh, is probably used in a lot of uh, movie trailers. One perfectly uh, placed is when someone recut The Shining as a father and son coming together story. And uh, that was very well done. Um, Fun fact, they also use it during uh, Vanilla Sky, during like the flirtatious rom-com scenes before everything goes to shit. Okay, yeah. It's multifaceted. It can be used whether you're uh, taking your son to Little League 
or if uh, you're on that first date with that special someone. Um, and here comes the flood. Uh, yes, uh, that's definitely a song title that um, Bono would have come up with. And uh, but it's good. I, I enjoy that song quite a bit. Moribund, the Burgermeister right. uh, <laughs> is quite the opening track and title. <laughs> yeah, no, he, def- he definitely he definitely lets you. He's like, yeah, I'm still the guy from Genesis when you got when you open up with a track like that. Yeah, yeah, so he's starting to make connections to the art world, especially with these like future King Crimson members. Um, and Robert Fripp, you know, obviously we talked about him a lot in the Bowie season. Um, and he's a big part of these early albums. In fact, he went on tour with them uh, for this record under the stage name Dusty Rhodes. Um, and then he would go on to produce the next album, uh, Peter Gabriel 2, a.k.a. Scratch. Yeah, with songs like White Shadow, this album's not afraid to get a little jammy or uh, funky. Um, or in songs like Exposure, which also uh, has guest sax work from friend of the show and friend of the Lost Boys, Tim Capello. Um, but yeah, this one, uh, maybe not a lot of big hits, big bangers on this one, but but some interesting directions it goes. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Yeah, I I really love to quite a bit. Um like like I when I when I listen to these records, I was almost disappointed I haven't listened to the first four before, especially two through four, because I just feel like they'd slot nicely with like the low trilogy and the uh, the idiot duology from uh, Iggy Pop back then. They all have songs that could they're art rocky, but they're still like good rock songs. Um, but yeah, they, on the air and DIY kind of actually remind me of Scary Monsters era Bowie. Um, with a little bit of like Huey Lewis in there. Uh, I, I like that uh, Ray Britton from Bruce Springsteen's band. I was listening to it and I was like, ah, oh, this sounds like sp- early Springsteen pianos. Well, that's because it's Springsteen's guitar or bass. Jesus Springsteen's piano players on there, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, if you can, you take two guys from King Crimson and put a guy from Springsteen in there. I, I, I can't believe this album existed. I never heard it until last week. Um, yeah. Tim Capello. Uh, it's nice to have him turn up, you know, famously from uh, uh, Mad Max 2. And um, in addition to playing the guitar, yeah, you got Fripp producing. And he does some of his, his Frippertronics work, which is an early um, delay system where you, you take two tape recorders and you pass the sound back and forth between them until they become a different sound. Uh, Robert Fripp, in addition to being the guitar hero, is an avant-garde production genius. Um, a lot of the stuff on the, the low trilogy or yeah, scary monsters. Sure. He's wailing on the guitar in a lot of those songs, but also I think that maybe, you know, Brian Eno was in him probably got along real well. Uh, uh, yeah, I just think it's a great early eighties art rock album, even though it came out in like 1979. Um, I really enjoy it. And I just love that. Again, you got Tony Levin and, and Robert Fripp there together, and then they're just like, hey, let's go do a new version of King Crimson. And a lot of the, the early 80s King Crimson is as close to 
straight rock as they ever got. And it's not straight rock at all. It's definitely art rock. And I could hear some of that starting on these albums. Uh, it's, it's awesome. It's all tied together, man, as they say. Also, this is the way his album. I start to get which ones have which songs on them mixed up on these next three albums. Is this the one that has I can't remember on it? Or is that one of the other ones? I don't remember. That's the next okay. one. I'll, I'll, I'll see. Yeah. Um, so for me, this album is uh, certainly a improvement over Carr. Uh, Peter Gabriel one um, in the sense that it really starts to get the start of what Peter Gabriel's sound is going to be, especially as Steve put it, I think it is apt that it feels like two, three, four definitely act as a trilogy. And um, this is the opening act essentially because he's coming into his own. And surprisingly this album from like a hits perspective um, doesn't have ones that uh, would be, you know, recognizable on a, you know, shaking the tree or the hits record. Um, but all in all, it hangs together very well uh, on the air DIY. Uh, the song animal magic uh, is kind of fun, even though it feels like it should be in a, uh, you know, a Disney movie. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that this record is great and I feel that it lays the train tracks down for, uh, three and four, which is yeah, I'm definitely loving all the connections you guys are making to like what I consider like definitely my niche for this era of music, this late seventies, early eighties era of music. And, you know, uh, there's a common thread with Robert Fripp or Brian Eno. You've got your talking heads remain in light. You've got your Bowie Berlin era, um, you know, you've got this. It's just that that kind of cool art rock, still catchy, you know, still this um, proto-alternative um, that is very respectful and pays tribute to world music um, and, and uses kind of new electronic production uh, tricks um, that give it uh, a kind of futuristic and yet somehow timeless, timeless feel. Um, and that, like, we've explored a lot of those in this podcast, and it's, you know, definitely been eye-opening for me. Like, yeah, this stuff is my jam. Yeah, you put you put this, you put these right next to the the those uh, early to mid Talking Head albums too. They all they're all of a piece. They're all the same. The versions of us that were twenty years old in nineteen seventy were all listening to all those, and I had. Uh, I, and, and that's just, it's just funny. Like I remember seeing these early Peter Gabriel albums all the time at the record store. And if I would have known what these albums contained, I would have owned them. I just, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to live the rest of my life regretting that I haven't been listening to these for the last 20 years, but I definitely would have been listening to these for the last 20 years if I knew how good they were. And that brings us to Peter Gabriel 3, a.k.a. Melt. Um, and this one was produced by Steve 
Lily White. Steve Lily White is royalty in 80s production. Um, he's done some absolute classics, you know, Susie and the Banshee, The Cure. Um, he uh, basically produced every Dave Matthews band record as well. <laughs> oh, whoops. Woohoo. Yikes. Notice yeah. I didn't mention the uh, 90s stuff, Mark. <laughs> well, I mean, that's funny because later we're going to talk about how Dave Petrell, uh, who's produced Tool, among other bands, produced a lot of Peter Gabriel. And I was looking at his discography, and uh, he also produced a lot of Godsmack. So it happens to the best of them. <laughs> after listening to all these i mean for my money i would i could pick this album um melt um up there with the one we're reviewing tonight so it's it's so good it's got intruder which of course we were introduced to by primus it's got no self-control then you've got games without frontiers don't know what else to say about that it's one of my favorite peter gabriel songs or at this point songs of all time i know bold statement it's an early collaboration with uh kate bush who will come back later on the album we're talking about tonight um just a very very cool funky layered track And then Biko, one of the most notable Peter Gabriel songs. A lot of people, it's, it's recognizable. A lot of people have covered it, including like Paul Simon. Um, and it's this, uh, you know, he's borrowed from world music a lot. And I think when a white artist does that, it's our responsibility as modern listeners to just ask the question, you know, is it appropriation? But, you know, he does more. But in this song, you know, he gives back. And he writes a song as a tribute to the journalist Biko. He's an apartheid journalist who was basically, you know, killed by uh, apartheid politicians. And it's a pretty powerful track. But, Mark, what do you think? I really enjoy Three quite a bit. Um, Three is a... Um, it's a masterpiece. I can't tell if I like this one uh, second or third in his whole discography because... Uh, it starts out with that really creepy track, Intruder, and um, I understand, you know, Primus did their spin on it, but it didn't sound as this evil. Um, Intruder, the way he delivers every lyric in that song, it's creepy. Uh, I don't remember another great track, almost like a very Kafka-esque uh, music video where a guy is... Uh, I don't know, being interrogated and it's just, you know, um, Peter Gabriel and I he can't remember, can't remember, um, yeah. Family snapshot. Another good one. Uh, games without frontiers. Not one of us is also a shredder and Biko. Um, for me, I first heard this off of the Woodstock 94, uh, cassette soundtrack and I really liked it. And so even though it's live, sounds always almost the exact same way it sounds when it was recorded. 
Um, I feel that it's not appropriation. Um, growing up, my dad would always play Paul Simon's uh, Graceland album that he did with, I think, Lady Smith, Black Mombazo. Um, and I didn't think that was appropriation either. I thought that was just like, oh, okay, they're getting into uh, world music. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily like, hey, we're trying to take that sound. I think that they have respect for it and they want to challenge themselves as artists. You guys could disagree with me maybe on the Graceland thing, but uh, I never felt that um, Peter Gabriel was using it to further his career. This man has a bleeding heart and uh, God love him for it, right? Um, he is always out there trying to fight the good fight against for fairness um, and as far as I know, I know that uh, Stephen had mentioned, you know, Roger Waters is very um, uh, for certain charities, but he's also against, you know, uh, certain things that like touchy subjects around Israel, you know what I'm saying, and the Palestinians. Um, and, you know, that's where in recent times, Roger Waters may feel like, Yikes. Uh, I don't know everything about you. I do. I, uh, but I think with Peter Gabriel, he's true and true looking out for his fellow man. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. It's just one of those things where in the, you know, eighties and to early nineties, there was a, a movement towards world music with, um, you know, a lot of white artists and, uh, you know, I think, or, or are they following a trend or are they giving back, to the and 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 bringing uh, using their influence to bring light to to some of these these artists from Africa and other countries, and Peter Gabriel did that. Yeah, there there was definitely there was definitely something in the air, uh, and it's going to come up more and more tonight because Peter Gabriel is definitely one of the the guys at the forefront of incorporating world music in the 80s, especially into the early 90s, into their music. Uh, to, yeah, you got you know, Paul Simon, Sting. Um, I, the, the list goes, Talking Heads. Yeah, yeah, Talking Heads, even, you know, even on the record we talked about, they, had a, they, they definitely had some, uh, some uh, world music vibes going on. And what I liked is that a lot of them, it wasn't just like they went and got a, you know, a filter and uh, or, or, or pick some guy off the uh, off a roll sheet that could play these instruments. A lot of them went to like the artists that played this music uh, and got them on their records, which it's a mutually beneficial uh, situation. Um, it, 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 as far as this album goes, uh, three, I mean, three might be it might be my favorite album of, of his. Uh, I'm not sure yet because some of it, so much of it, I just, I ate it all at once. When you, when you eat all this stuff at the same time, it's, it, it's hard to differentiate how much you like some of it compared to the, the rest. Um, but like, yeah, that song, no self-control chorus on that song is just so awesome. Uh, and just the, uh, it's, it's, it's just oddly catchy and the drums are great. Um, I, 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 uh, the Kelp, I can't remember is another one that has a great chorus. That's uh weirdly catchy uh, games without frontiers. Yeah. We've talked about that one. I think I, I don't think I ever knew that was a Peter Gabriel song, but I've heard that song for decades. Uh, it's a great song. It's just a, a very, the, the very good production. And I, the delivery of the verses, is kind of like a nursery rhyme. 
even though he's singing about something really dark. It's it's great. Yeah. Whistling without uh, frontiers, him. that whole part. Yeah. 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 And Tommy played with James and James <laughs> played with Adolf. Uh, uh, a really pretty song that's actually kind of dark, but sounds beautiful is uh, Lead a Normal Life. That one kind of sounds like Philip Glass meets Nine Chanel's Ghosts era. Um, yeah, like this album, I, I think he's really experimental still, but you're starting to hear some of the, not as much the ultra pop catchiness of so, but you're starting to hear the world music stuff. And, you know, like I, like I was saying that this was through the eighties into the early nineties, all these guys really, really started getting into incorporating those, those world music sounds. I mean, in addition to sting, there's also our friend, Billy Joel. <laughs> Mark's about to lose it. Who <laughs> was the king of it? Don't get me yes, started, were. guys. I'm getting into my routine. <laughs> I, uh, I can't tell you how often uh, Peter Gabriel and reminded me <laughs> of the River of Dreams. <laughs> So, yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of the world music stuff going on, and it, it, it started here. That's the good stuff. Uh, we're not <laughs> quite at a white guy wearing a daishiki, but we're getting there. <laughs> and then 1980, we get to our uh, Peter Gabriel Four, aka Security, and the album covers this weird like creature close-up grainy picture of like looks like a goonie and so this album is a little bit more electronic in sound it was produced by david lord who is known for doing some more like electronic experimental stuff he did uh, jean-michael jure he did you know icicle works well, you know, you know, you know what else he did, David Lord. David Lord did Peter Gabriel's wife, and that's why they got divorced. <laughs> Stephen, Jesus Christ! <laughs> but yeah. Security has some great tracks. Uh, of course, Shock the Monkey is, it was, a, was a big hit. It's been used in a lot of things. Um, you've got Wallflower, which is a pretty great anti-war song. And then you've got the opener, Rhythm of the Heat, which is this barn burner. Um, kind of like a recollection of watching tribal dances around like a campfire and just releasing kind of what you know of, um, I guess, security and, and, and just giving in to the, to the moment. Um, and when he says, like, I give in to trust, the song just explodes. It's crazy. Yeah, for that uh, album cover, I tell you, it is uh, certainly something that you would see out of a Jordan Peele movie. Um, it's uh, pretty haunting. Um, in terms of how it starts, the rhythm of the heat, uh, definitely you're getting more of that world music, but done in a way that feels that you're part of a ritual. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, I guess it was heavily used, maybe a couple, um, 
It was used in Miami Vice, which Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins definitely share that uh, handshake that Miami Vice is right in the middle of that. Um, San uh, Jacinto. Awesome. I love the uh, synthesized, like the Fairlight CMI is maybe. No, he hasn't got into that yet, um, but it uh, just feels like you're listening to raindrops. It's uh, it's a good one. Uh, I have the touch this is another great uh, classic Peter Gabriel song family in the fishing net. Um, that was one that Primus did cover as well. And uh, uh, I prefer the original. Um, it's one of those things. And of course, shock the monkey. I mean, it's this record is just banger after banger after banger. If you ask me, um, I think that's why it may be my second favorite record of his um, because it has just something for everybody. And uh, the next record certainly has something for everybody, but this one um, is getting in that, uh, it's leaning into that. Yeah, I really like this one. I it's it's I think I like three the best, and this one's maybe my second favorite or so. I really like these three albums that come out in a row here. Uh, and this one still has some of the avant-garde stuff going on, uh, more of the world stuff. A lot of good percussion on this album, a lot of good bearing of the soul. Uh, Peter Gabriel. Is not, I mean, the majority of his lyrics run the gamut of emotions. Um, good and bad. The very guy wears his heart in his sleeve. Um, but this album definitely, it, it hovers in this, like, I don't know, the low trilogy meets the band Ecstasy meets Robert Fripp. But just like on this one, this one's very Peter Gabriel to me. He's very front and center with his Gabrielness. Um, San Jacinto is probably my favorite song on it. I love the San Jacinto. He's very just passionate when he when he he, he shouts that out, and uh, it also has some really good Dynacord type drums that are just really loud and echoey. Um, Family in the Fishing Net, like you said, the, the Primus Primus covered that one. It's great. Um, I think it, I think he also. He starts to do more with his vocals on here. He's always been a good singer, but I think he he goes a little deeper and a little higher at times on this 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 record. Uh, and Shock the Monkey is crazy. That was a single. That song was on the radio. That's a weird song, man. So it's good stuff. These four records were they all released in another language as well? The second one were both released in German. Correct. No, three and four were just three and four. Yeah, um, I think the first one was Ein Deutsches album for the the third one, and he completely re-recorded it. And then the security record was then called the Deutsches album. Um, so, yeah, 
uh, I, I blew my mind that he went back and re-recorded all the vocals. Hopefully he didn't have any different arrangements, but uh, who knows? I didn't listen to them. They're available on the streams. Yeah, they're right there next to it. Yep. So after that album, uh, Peter Gabriel starts working on his first soundtrack work for the film Birdie. And he works on that with producer Daniel Lenoy. And they start hitting it off and have a similar taste in pop, but also world music. And, um, you know, they work on that soundtrack, but they start thinking about ideas for Peter Gabriel's next solo album. Hold on a sec. I just want to mention the, the whole U2 connection. So Daniel Lenoy, he produced um, Unforgettable Fire and then this one and then the Joshua Tree. That is like a hell of a trilogy of production. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they all yeah. all three of those sound like a million bucks, too. But anyways, Peter and Daniel, they're recording the soundtrack. They've got these ideas for a new solo album. They're at Ashcolm House, which is this home studio where Peter had been recording. And the idea of a home studio will become so important to Peter and his, his whole uh, real world studios. The idea that you could live at home and just live around these instruments um, and, and record uh, and, and he started collecting, you know, of course, the world drums, the world instruments, and then also the synthesizer samplers. But yeah, this this first solo album, um, you know, he's, he was averse to marketing or any album titles. And this is the first one he, he kind of gives it like the anti-title, the anti-marketing uh, album title. So, um, and that's what you're here for. We're going to be talking about that. Don't worry. Um, we're going to be doing track by tracks in just a few minutes. Um, uh because that's what you're here for. I just thought we'd hop through the rest of the catalog real quick, and then we can sit down, put the napkins on our laps, and enjoy this main meal of the album, So. So after So is this mega hit. Um, he is feeling the world music. He's got this 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 studio with any instrument or, or electronic device he could imagine, and um, he actually makes this artistic choice to do a score for a film. He works with Scorsese on The Last Temptation of Christ, and he makes the album Passion. Thoughts on passion or just the film itself? V. Keitel as Judas. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Judas. <laughs> Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> you know, I don't think I've seen that movie since I was a kid when my parents were watching it. I don't think I've ever sat down as an adult and watched it. Really? It, yeah. Yeah. controversial movie uh, there were like bombs sent to theaters where it was playing by radical Catholic groups uh, mostly you know it was controversial because it portrayed Jesus as like a regular guy I mean as only Willem Dafoe can do and um, you know and he has to make choices like a man like when he's up on the cross he's you know yeah he has a moment where it's like what if my life was different and it kind of goes back through him what, what would have happened if he fell in love had a family, you know, met Mary Magdalene and, well, 
yeah, he know. ends up ends up yeah, he ends up kissing the frog. If you will. <laughs> Bingo. It's a pretty wild movie. Um, you know, it's the, none of the actors are trying to do anything with their accents. They're just being themselves. Uh, it's got, even got a friend of the show, John Lurie, on, in it. On. I, I, I didn't listen to it. I, I, I listened to that soundtrack because Mark said it was great and it was good. I didn't listen to Birdie. I've never seen Birdie. Birdie's an Alan Parker film, a uh, friend of the show because he did The Wall, the first episode of season three of Pod Like a Hole. And... Uh, how birdie sound was the movie any good tell me about birdie it had nicholas cage and matthew modine um i think it was a coming of age story that um i don't know i never saw it uh but alan parker said that peter gabriel was a joy to work with versus the tyranny of the man we mentioned earlier roger waters on that said movie <laughs> wow well, waters can't win Birdie's fine. I didn't spend too much time with it. He, it, it it's got some songs that he ended up repurposing yeah. or, or, yeah. You know. And he does that in his soundtracks. Also during this time, he's building real world studios. He's having other musicians recording their albums there. Um, you know, world musicians, other people. And there's just a lot of like messing around, making songs. And they start working on stuff that wouldn't be on any Peter Gabriel album called big blue ball is the project. Um, yeah. And it would see a release later, but like the song Burn Me Up, Burn Me Down is like a really cool song from that era. Yeah, I've heard that one. I think it was on the hits and uh, they may have played that on the Growing Up Live uh, DVD as well. Um, yeah. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't have a chance to listen to Big Blue Ball, but I will uh, check that out because, I mean, it's just a variety of people playing with him and uh, they just kind of make that thing. Yeah, yeah. So also during this time, uh, they've built the studio. They've got these new uh, instruments and, and live-in uh, opportunities to record. They uh, Peter Gabriel makes this uh, Greatest Hits album called Shaking the Tree, 16 Golden Hits. Um, it's got a, it's like Greatest Hits album, but they rework most of the songs on there using real-world studios. So the songs do sound a little different, uh, or in some cases, like Here Comes the Flood, a lot different, um, where it's kind of more where Peter's head is at during that era um, with access to his new studio and new uh, gadgets. Um, but the, And then he had one new song, Shaking the Tree, which, as Mark alluded to earlier, not his best song. If there was one song where he's leaning into his uh, Africa fetish a little too hard yeah uh, and uh, with his adult contemporary it, it would be <laughs> that one that song shaking the tree definitely is a precursor to what us tends to sound like more often than not um, and with us uh, if you're ready to go there oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that's next okay did you want to go ahead and back no nah, no nah, basically okay, covered it so I'll just tell you my feelings on us I mean, Us is kind of a mess. It does have some good tracks, like Come Talk to Me, um, Blood of Eden, both of them featuring Sinead O'Connor, which I just recently watched a documentary on. showtime not bad check it out um 
but it tries to also do that whole dichotomy of what happens and so we got some horn dog music along with some very uh, emotional passionate music um you know for my money though i'm not a big fan of the song steam um but i do think that it's better well steam is fine i think that it's it's like a, a b grade um big time um trying to expand on that sound we'll, we'll talk about big time but uh, digging in the dirt, though, um, the way that's delivered really does remind me of how Trent Reznor would deliver that. Um, I definitely feel some uh, influence there for how Trent does his choruses sometimes. Uh, Kiss That Frog is a ridiculous music video uh, that was done on a Macintosh. Um, and it <laughs> Macintosh, like, you know, uh, I don't even know which versions were out there about that time. Um, and then the song Secret World ends it out, and uh, which was also the uh, title of the tour that they went on with Paula Cole. Um, so this is where we kind of go a little too into Sting territory for the most part. Um, and it's like one of my least favorite ones of him. Um, I don't think that, yeah, Daniel Lenoy was trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice with Peter Gabriel, but I just, it, this one missed for me. You're exactly right about kind of failing to capture lightning in a bottle twice, kind of going for the same sound, but leaning too much into what, uh, away from what, I guess, le leaning away from what made so, so good and, and too much into what made the kind of apes of so, so, uh, like, you know, soft. But uh, I got to tell you, I love the song Sting. How does it feel to make it real the way he sings that? It's so good. That's a good song. But then I watched <laughs> the video. <laughs> it's, it's so it's, fucking bad. It somehow like stains oh, the song. And it, no. it cheapens the song. Video's fine. He's uh, a, the video's ridiculous. <laughs> he's dressed like a pimp. I love it. Sure, dressed as a pimp yeah. or in dad jeans with a denim shirt tucked into the denim pants with a nice belt. No, the big time video is where he's dressed as a pimp. Um, no, it's Steam. Oh, that's right. Stand back. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love Steam. I, I, I love the stand back. I just so. But yeah. No, it's. great song I mean, how I mean, does this... it feel to make it real i mean that just rouses you but the whole video is a non-stop yeah. cavalcade of dick jokes uh, at one point it even like <laughs> there's a train going through tunnels and it's got peter's face on it it looks like the train from the gunslinger series yes blame the train no he's he's definitely he's a horn dog and he's not afraid to, to talk about it he's there's a ton of songs with innuendos and some of the videos too yeah Especially after he, him and his wife got divorced and he was dating a bunch of actresses and everything. Um, he definitely, what, him, and, him and Sting were definitely trading their tantric sex book back and forth.
Well, even yeah, yeah, you got. I mean, you got you got some of the ridiculous innuendos, but also like a song about digging in the dirt. That song is all about therapy, trying to figure out, you know, digging inside yourself to figure out what's wrong with you and why you can't relate to people or how to make things uh, better. You got to you know look inward in order to figure it out. I think a song is a good message. And if you watch the video, it kind of backs that up. Um, and uh, yeah, dig it. This song, this album, yeah, it's not, it's probably, uh, as far as his album albums go, probably is like the, the one I returned the least to. Yeah. Um, so it sold really well. It took them six years to make. It's not terrible, but it's definitely already out of all the artists we've talked about on the show this is the most adult contemporary artist we've ever talked about yeah as experimental as his early his early stuff is uh so and then this album uh maybe even a little bit of up that's all you you, you can pull songs from each one of those and put it on mix 96 yes like all of our parents all of our parents were into peter gabriel before we were in a way i'm sure yeah especially eric's because i actually have a fondness for the song digging in the dirt because eric introduced me to it uh, when we were like 22 years old and he, we were just talking with Peter Gabriel one day and he's like hey, ever heard the song Digging in the Dirt and it's always stuck in my head you know this time just, uh, you've gone too uh, far <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah just, uh, <laughs> yeah shut your gun you know what you are uh, but the album sounds really good it's produced really well uh, it just the textures are great but the music is very it's you know it's almost Mervin's music as Mark would say. Yes, yeah. I will say a lot of people. I, I just question for I, the. It's weird though. A lot of people like hold one sure, second, yeah. Mark. A lot of people really like it. Like I, when I was doing my research for all these records, uh, there I've read more than one P- Peter Gabriel fan, of which there are a lot. If you go online, Peter Gabriel fans, there's a ton of them. A lot of Peter Gabriel fans all also like say this song literally changed my life. I was going through some time and. This Peter Gabriel song like actually helped me make a good life decision. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of his a lot of his music runs the gamut of emotions lyrically, Here's, and a lot of people really latch on. Okay, to before it. I was um, going to ask the question, just to kind of double check, I'll just bypass my question. Then I do feel that of all the artists that we talk about, Peter Gabriel uh, sings to hope without making it seem way too earnest, where it's kind of cringy. I feel that Peter Gabriel um, he besides the horn dog stuff, because my question to all of you was, is kiss that frog about cunnilingus. Um, but yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) My God, it's like one half Robert Palmer, one half, like Mahatma Gandhi. I don't know what's going on with this guy. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely some of that going on. I mean, I, yeah, he's definitely the horn dog but he, but, but like his hopeful that. songs like do fill your heart though that's the thing um that he's able to walk both lines effectively i don't know well you know, disney, disney didn't have him do music for wally for nothing for sure so he tours secret world live is is a massive hit that live album that's what like my parents would play on road trips that that and and, and us um and then he you know he chills and it is 2001, believe it or not, before he releases the last album of original music that any of us got until whatever he's planning for this year. Talking about the album Up. Looking for a place to live. My 
the ideas for Up came from um, this soundtrack that Peter Gabriel did for a sci-fi series that wasn't supposed to be very good called OVO, uh, but some cool tracks on that soundtrack. Um, I'm kind of moving forward to this like noisy experimental electronic era, uh, you know, era, and um, you know, certainly people from uh, that more kind of I don't want to say industrial, but that that electronic influenced rock were inspired by Peter Gabriel and he goes that route a lot on the on, on this album up um, title track is is amazing uh, a lot of great songs on here it's not a perfect album but it is very important and as far as I'm concerned belongs in the Gabriel pan pantheon sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday yes. speaking Steve thoughts on yes yeah, a lot of thoughts on up uh, one when you talk about the players that are on it we forgot to mention that throughout most of these albums Tony Levin's on a lot of them old uh chicken fingers whatever you want to call them uh and he's in his band to this day i love that uh, if you watch there, there's live i sent you guys some uh a link i emailed you a link to a live version of sledgehammer from like 1987 um one of the greatest things i've ever seen in my life and uh tony levin has a lot to do with that it is a lot of dance moves a lot of a little bit of choreography it's wonderful he's also on up i believe um and I, I like Up a lot. When you asked earlier our introductions to Peter Gabriel, it wasn't my introduction, but I got a promo copy of that and the Rabbit Proof Fence at the same time at the record store. And I listened to Up quite a bit um, when I had it uh, 20 years ago. Um, and then kind of just set it aside and forgot about it. Uh, yeah, the song Growing Up, it's not a cover of Bruce Springsteen's Growing Up, but uh, it's awesome. That's a great song. Um, and I didn't realize until today that the album cover has his face on it. <laughs> I've looked at that album cover a billion times, and his face is uh, right there if you look yep. at it uh, the right way. It's almost like a 3D yeah. image. Because you're focusing on there. the drops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some other notes on it is uh, the production. I don't know if it sounds like it could be recorded today. I think it actually falls into sounding like it was recorded in 2002. Not in a bad way, but I don't know. There's like some compression stuff going on that a lot of records from that era sound like to me. Um, it doesn't hinder it at all. I, I like the song, The Drop. It's the, uh, the closing song. It's a pretty little song. Um, and then there's another song on there. Um, before the drop called Signal to Noise, uh, the second and last track. It's got uh, Nusat Fat uh, Khan, who I have a soft spot for because of his vocal appearances on the Natural Born Killer soundtrack. Yeah, as well. Uh, the second and last track on Up is awesome. Um, and then, you know, we were talking about the emotional thing, and I, I read this. There's a song in there called I Grieve, and the whole reason he made it was because he was looking through all of his catalog and he noticed that all his music runs the gamut of emotions, but he can't look back at his catalog and find a song that he remembers writing about when he was grieving for somebody that died. So he literally was like, well, I've never written a song about grieving, so I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, Pilfered for early aughts soundtracks. The I Grieve was in City of Angels, uh, starring Meg Ryan and yep. Nicholas Cage. 
Yes, the, in the start. If you go to his IMDb page, there is a billion movies and TV shows that uses his music. One of which we'll talk about in depth. It's too long. But just know this: like, yeah, a lot of very popular movies have reused his songs. Many TV shows use his songs over and over and over again to this day. And uh, like Mark said earlier, if it wasn't for him and Phil Collins, Miami Vice wouldn't have been what it was. Um, uh, yeah, I just, it's a good album. I think it's, you know, it's almost a great album. I really like it a lot. And this, back to that song growing up, the Trent Reznor remix, that could be a Nine Chanel's or Depeche Mode song any day of the week if they, you tweak it a little bit. A good album. That song is uh, my daughter's favorite uh, song off, I think, out of all of Peter Gabriel's. The second that I showed, I first showed them Sledgehammer, and then I showed them Growing Up because of how strong of a song it was. And plus, it's towards the end of his career. And uh, they're just, like, hypnotized by that video and by the song. Um, I personally think this album uh, could be an absolute grand slam, uh, but unfortunately, it is just a solo home run uh, because... One of the things that uh, I'm really bothered by is the Barry Williams show. I do not like that song. It's probably one of his worst songs in his entire catalog. And but everything else, track one through five and seven, uh, seven through ten are undeniably classic. But just right in the middle, there's this goofball song. Um, it had a really terrible Maury Povich type video for it, and I just not a not a fan of that song at all. I don't think you're alone there, Mark. And I think also it was kind of like we need a single here, and he kind of threw it together. Yeah, um, that's 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 the impression I get. But it's, I mean, as far as you know, having a long career goes, whenever an artist puts out an album that good on the second half of their career, you got to tip your hat. Um, even though that was 20 years ago and he's done nothing new since that's uh, original music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And just to kind of wrap up his discography, that would be up would be the last album of original music until, yeah, well, until whatever he's going to put out this year in 2023. Uh, in 2010, he did make an album called I'll scratch your back, which are is an album of covers um, with him singing over an or uh, orchestrated uh, orchestra. Uh, background um, and he's covering like Arcade Fire and Magnetic Fields and um, uh, it's it's pretty good and he does has some great covers there and then it was supposed to be a flip it, oh yeah he covered Heroes by David Bowie um, and there was supposed to be a flip where it was like the other the people he covered would then cover him and some of those them do it and it's very good but it's kind of sparse. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of re- reciprocation there. There was more uh, him scratching their backs, and not many people scratched his back. Yeah, David Bowie was like, "No thanks." Radiohead, "No thanks," and yeah, it's pretty unfortunate. 
Well, did you, did you? Two very important things in regards to Scratch My Back. One is the cover of Arcade Fire. That song is used in the John Carter uh, trailer. And it is one of the best movie trailers that you'll ever see in your life. You go watch that trailer with that My Body is a Cage song. It is great. Oh, yeah. Fate has brought you here, John Carter. may be the only one who can save us. Um, then on Scratch My Back, yeah, he... He was talking to Bowie and Bowie was like, hi, I don't know, Peter. I really, I, I can't lend you. I, I am, I'm going to die soon, even though, he, you know, but that's not what he said. He just couldn't be bothered at the time. And uh, I don't think Peter took it personally, but he was sitting, he was sitting there and he was like, how can I, God, I want to cover heroes, but Bowie's not into it. He's like, wait a minute. Robert Fripp is all over heroes. And he called up Robert Fripp and got permission to do it from Robert Fripp, which I find hilarious. So. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> you face the night alone while the builders of the cages sleep with bullets, bars, and stone. And then to wrap it up, he releases New Blood, which is the final, the last album he's released. It's a. Um, all it's a collection of his old songs redone with his new orchestra pastiche um, and to varying effect some of them really benefit from having the orchestra and make them more powerful uh, some not so much but there's a great uh, concert video that came out of this that is powerful that, that will definitely um, shake that's yet. the one that uh, really is the highlight for me during this era of the strings the, the live uh, concert um, is certainly um, just more dynamic, um, than what you kind of get by listening to the records on a very long drive. Um, I don't recommend it. It can put you to sleep. It's always going to be interesting, but, um, it's not really meant for, um, those types of activities where you need to focus up unless that's your thing. But the, the live concert really did it for me. Well, out of all these albums we've talked about, uh, he went to the playoffs every time except for, uh, us so it's a good batting average for sure well that's it it's now time for the main course we're going to talk about so track by track and uh dissect his uh one of his biggest albums one of you know pop culture's biggest albums dropped in 1986 peter gabriel and uh lenoy uh, fresh out of building their studio, incorporating pop music and world music. It was a huge hit, massive hit, number two in Billboard at the time, uh, certified platinum five times. Uh, it's always on your list of the best albums from the 80s, the best albums of all time. And uh, yeah, you get, uh, just, it's massively successful. You love to see Peter win. Wow, this uh, Peter Gabriel, we've all he's always been around, but apparently he wants to be a pop star now and he just totally pulled it off in one record. I I, I there was something going on in the 80s where these uh, these artistically mind guys all decided they wanted like, hey, 
I I can make money. I don't know if they wanted to make money off of it or if they wanted to just be stars or if they just were like, I want my music to get to more people. But uh, David Byrne with Talking Heads, uh, Peter Gabriel, David Bowie, um, oh, Phil Collins, and there's there's many more. Guys that started off as art dudes that went super, super popular. Uh, and a lot of times they were wearing really big suits when they did it. It's It's, it's crazy. No, that's a really good point. Um, one that I never really considered. I mean, even when we were going through the David Bowie, uh, you know, season and we got to those records that definitely were not highly regarded because even though he was becoming very commercially appealing, he was losing a lot of his fan base that was really just over the moon about scary monsters. Um, but Peter Gabriel, I don't know if he had that same shift. I felt like he was able to continue to keep his audience between his uh, early solo records, maybe even those who were um, fans of his all the way back to Genesis. I don't think he shed anything because on so, even though it's very commercially appealing, I feel that um, there's elements where it's one for you, one for me kind of uh, trade off between the track listing. So you still get Definitely. some of those art um, pieces that Absolutely. still keep those fans in versus going fully into uh you know from scary monsters let's dance was a good bridge but then those that followed that you would kind of find yourself hard pressed to be like where are we going david bowie but you could always say that you know peter gabriel and i'm not saying peter gabriel is better than david bowie i would never say that um but i'm just saying he was able to make that seem to work on both sides um, especially on this record yeah he was a no on the, on this record definitely and to lesser extent the next one he was able to stay true to himself and make music that was smash hits it's uh very amazing he's able to pull it off and let's 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 talk about it unless you got anything any other preamble eric no preamble ready to go they recorded so they recorded this they recorded this one at that farmhouse right again. right right they recorded yep. Birdie at. that was the the studio that they used for so and then they would move it town to make real world studios but yeah let's start it with the uh, opening track red rain Red Rain, what an opener. Um, Peter Gabriel had this rule during this time about metal drums. He didn't like metal drums, but regardless, he still had Stuart Copeland from the police and uh, just an awesome drummer, uh, Oysterhead. Uh, he the rest of the drums are done by Moroda, who is a Tony Levin's uh, drummer, played in the Tony Levin band. Um, also, you have David Rhodes on guitar, uh, Tony Levin on bass, of course. And um, this is just a big, epic, busy track. Some great bass rips back and forth. A lot of layering in the music. The song itself is just about how, um, you know, it's a dream based on a dream he had where everything was covered like he was swimming in wine and it looked like blood. But the song itself is about, you know, basically just wanting to be washed free of sin so you can move on um, and feeling massive guilt for the crimes of the ages. Yeah, it's definitely uh, Peter Gabriel. It's definitely doesn't sound like a new artist completely, but it's a whole different style of song for him. 
It's very lush. It's very, uh, it's very uh, spacious. Um, you really are hearing. I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy that produced some uh, '80s U2 songs. I can hear that in this track. Um, the production is great. The vocals are great. Um, I think the album. This song sets the, the the tone for the album well. It's very powerful. But the rest of the album doesn't sound like this song really at all. Uh, the Stuart Copeland's drumming with the Jerry Marotta's drumming goes well together. And it's it's a very good song. I can't believe it was also like a radio. It was a single. And I, I don't remember ever hearing this on the radio. But uh, it, God, it sounds very 80s, but not dated, if that makes any sense. I'm not going to say that about... There's a music video with the topless Peter Gabriel, if that helps. Oh, there you go. I'm not going to say that about every song in this album, but this song sounds like it's definitely sounds like 1986, but it doesn't sound dated, if that's possible. Uh, it's a good track. Good good opener. I, I I think this is a great song to open this album with, to let people know you're getting into something different here, folks. Yeah, and to that point, Stephen, I feel that uh, Red Rain um, it does let the audience know that this song is made for an arena, not just a small intimate theater. And so, um, we're swinging for the rafters. It's very an expansive sound and having it lead off on this particular track, you could definitely like, Whoa, um, it's very dramatic, um, in its imagery. Um, you know, it sounds like something is just a bloodbath. And I know that he had these reoccurring dreams that were essentially nightmares and he wanted to write about it. And uh, I think there's a line in, in one of the uh, pieces here where it mentions that it's all in your head. Hey, no pain. Uh, there is no blood around. See no sign of pain. Hey, no pain. Just that uh, your brain understanding, like what you're seeing here is not, it's false. Um, man, the, Vocal performance on here is amazing. Um, I'm a big fan of Red Rain, um, and it's just made for this big, just theatrical sound um, that I'm sure was amazing on this particular tour. Agreed. It's big. It's busy. What an opener. It is a lot, but it all kind of melts into the atmosphere. And it leads us to not one of uh, Peter Gabriel's biggest hits, but one of the biggest hits of the 80s. The song, Sledgehammer. I mean, what else can you say about Sledgehammer? It's one of the all-time great pop songs. For me, for my money, it's just like a fully satisfying pop music experience. It's catchy. It uh, The song has like a, a bell curve of action and ends just when it needs to. doesn't go on a second too long or a second too short. We were all introduced to the video, of course. It's a stop-motion animation. Uh, Peter himself uh, spent, I think, what was it, like over 100 hours under a glass table doing short little movements of his voice as he as he 
did uh, as they animated him singing and then did little animations around his head um song itself um, i mean from his own words uh, he's claimed the song is about uh, yeah it's full of sexual innuendos but what it's about is when communication breaks down with your partner sometime uh, uh sex is the best way to make that connection Yes, Wayne Jackson, uh, who was in Smokey Robinson's band, and the whole song is structurally and, and, and aesthetically a throwback to 60s soul. Mark, what do you think? So Sledgehammer is one of the most innovative music videos of the time. I mean, obviously things have progressed in technology, but for the time it melted everyone's brain. Um, it upped the ante of what music videos could do. Um, but, of course, the song is about fucking i mean no other way to put it and uh it's funny because you know i'm showing this song to kids i'm showing and i listened to this song when i was a kid because a it has an excellent beat and rhythm um and you can feel that rhythm especially in that last part because um that last part where things get a little more gospel a little more call and response um this is the new stuff (laughs) that whole thing Oh my god. I mean, that is some just awesome, awesome stuff. Oh yeah, and I will show for you. Yeah. gonna feel that rhythm gonna feel that power i mean when you look think about oh what are we actually singing about you're like damn i used to sing that song <laughs> i mean fair enough but how many songs are about that right right can't swing a dead cat without hitting at least five songs i mean you know half the blippy songs are about sex you know that <laughs> but yeah sledgehammer it's uh it's an all-time track it's uh Amazing live. He's going to play it until he's dead, um, as long as he keeps touring. But it's what the people want, and he delivered. Yeah, the uh, I mean, this song, even before tonight, I've always loved this song. Uh, or before we dug deep, we dug into the dirt of Peter Gabriel. I mean, this song, it's always been a great song. When I was a kid, I loved it. Like, yeah, like Mark said, even though I didn't, I didn't really catch on to those innuendos until very recently, actually. Uh, it's kind of hard to, you know, is open up your fruit cake or open up your fruit cage either way where the fruit is as sweet as can be. Yeah. It's not, not difficult to discern what you mean there, sir. Um, and that, I mean, that opening flute warble, the, that bamboo flute, like you hear that and you're like, all right, I'm getting ready for sledgehammer. And then the, the horns kick in and every time it's hard not to smile when the horns kick in. <laughs> oh God. You know, there are versions of this song where they take that flute out at the beginning. I mean, why? Listen to the hits version, the greatest hits version of Shaking the Tree. They take they use a different version. How good this is. These horns. Um and uh yeah, that horn player you were talking about, Wayne Jackson, Eric, he saw him when he was 17 with Otis Redding. And uh yeah, the little full circle moment there. Uh I mean, yeah, you guys already talked about all the the lyrical connotation. I mean, just the, the song sonically is amazing. Those horns are great. Uh, with the intensity when, when it builds to the end, um, 
the uh the I'll come dancing in. I'll come dancing. I I, I love it. Kick the habit, shed his skin. And I, I like you know, all that too is that like we said, he didn't totally reinvent himself, but he evolved. He shed his skin. I think he's singing a little bit of that that there. You know, in, in between the innuendos, there's this song kind of is about sex, but also it's such a bold statement. He's calling his shot. He's like, there, you don't put a song out like this and not like I think he knew how good of a hit he had in his hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then just to take it to the next level, he's like, and let's make the greatest music video up until this point. <laughs> which which still to this day, yeah, I show my kid, my kids love that video. Like they come out and just they, they just look at it. It's really appealing. If you're a little kid, it's just amazing to see all that stuff. And uh, I, one of those guys went on to become the Wallace and Grummet uh, creator too. Um, it wasn't the Quay brothers. There's a whole bunch of people worked on it, obviously. Um, yeah, it's a great song. The horns are great. Uh, the, the gospel parts are great. He's having a blast. It makes you have a blast. It's uh, there's a, the baseline, that baseline. Good, great, good gravy. Baseline is untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you really do some work with that, that fretless bass there. Uh, Friend of the show, Greg Waldegast, who does our album artwork, uh, has a YouTube channel called Some Room to Drum, where he does drum covers. They're all very good. And he does one uh, for Sledgehammer. And while you don't necessarily pick up on how good the drum beat is, the, the whole song, it it's very intricate. And hearing him do his take on it is a lot of fun. Check it out. God, that song is such a rising action building song. When they bring the bamboo flute back at the end, I have had it. I'm on the floor. I'm the Vince McMahon. <laughs> I just... When that flute comes back at the end, yeah, well, it gets you stoked when it starts because you're like, all right, I've heard this song a billion times. But then when it comes back at the end, you're like, oh, God, the flute's back. It's, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's, uh, can't beat it, man. Yeah. Don't know what else there is to say. That song just fully satisfies. It's a perfectly constructed pop song. You know what? I'd say that the, the that song is a strange cousin to Closer. When you think about the way it builds and how it's not a normal radio hit you're going to hear on rock radio, and then closer's closer's a little bit more specific. But I never thought about that before. They're very similar. They're, they're funky songs from multi that are about sex that became big radio hits. And they also both have rising action that culminates in just like by the end of the song, you're a pedal <laughs> yeah. because you've heard so many cool sounds. Yeah. Never thought about that until right now. They they definitely go well together. Well, who knows how one can follow that up with something else, but Peter manages to do that. He, the tempo goes down, but he, the intensity stays up. We have a duet of the song. Don't give up. No fight left or so it seems I am a man whose dreams have all deserted I've changed my face, I've changed my name But no one wants you when you lose Don't give up cause you
Don't give up. Another one of the big hits off this album. Um, beautiful ballad, uh, lush with synths and repeating uh, programmed uh, symbols. And uh, Peter and and Gabriel and Kate Bush uh, trade verses, trade lines. So it, it, they're having a conversation in the song. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful song that is, you know, Peter Gabriel singing from the perspective of somebody who's struggling could be somebody from back in the Great Depression uh, to somebody in the like really struggling in the haves and have nots of the 80s uh, when it was recorded. Um, and then you get to the chorus, Kate Bush comes in to offer that just this warm, warm shoulder to cry on, a warm hug uh, support for that, for somebody who feels like they're at the, the absolute end of their rope. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a lush, synthy ballad. Uh, with big piano hits um, and then towards the end the drums and the bass start funking out and uh, just ends with a little bit of an adrenaline rush after you've been taken emotionally through the ringer uh, the song certainly gets me gets me going interesting fact was uh, they almost uh, he tried to get uh, Dolly Parton to sing the uh, Kate Bush parts um, and she couldn't do it um, I think it's better for having Kate Bush on there, but that would have, you would have made sense of why he was going after Dolly Parton. That would have been a cool to hear. Yeah, I love this song. It's very good. Um, yeah, Kate Bush's second appearance in his discography. And uh, did he ever sing on any of her albums? Well, that's a trivia question that I'm losing the round on. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. Seems like he would have. Uh, yeah, it's got, you know, it's 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 a very pretty song, even though it's very sad. Uh, the lyrics are very earnest and I like that they're singing to each other when they recorded it they recorded it at his barn or whatever that place is and like they were out there like looking at the horses together while they sang together uh, very it's a very big tearjerker song and it's very affecting though it earns its emotion um, I mean yeah it's about a guy that got laid off and he doesn't know how to really what to do and he feels like he's not going to add up and this lady's saying you know no, come on, man. There's there's plenty of people here that still love you. You could apply it to many life situations that might be shitty. Um, and just you got Kate Bush asking Peter not to, to don't close himself off. That's a good, good message. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is an emotionally exhausting song. I mean, I, a combination of uh, in this household. December is a very busy month. I mean, you've got Christmas. Yes. But then you've got my birthday, my son's birthday and my mom's birthday. Um, lot to deal with all December, and then you try to take a few days off and go back to work. You're just drained. And uh, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. That earlier this week, I just dropped my kid off from school. I always get a little emotional after I drop my kid off at school because I just see him walking away, and I'm like, oh, he's getting older. I, I just, I don't know. 
And anyways, I, I put this song on, just started crying on my way to work. I was like, oh, here, I'm just crying. Just old man crying, listening to the song. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Things got dusty over here for me, too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great song, though. It's a, it's a beautiful song. Um, it nails. It, it totally executes what it sets out to do. And uh, it's strangely hopeful, even though it's sad. And there's a Willie Nelson version with Sinead O'Connor, which I discovered today. And I, I really love that. It's, it's hard. I'll listen to Willie Nelson sing the phone book. So having him sing a song like this. Thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, and there's a music video for this song uh, where uh, Peter's in a trench coat and Kate Bush is, whole, is just hugging him and they're just and the camera spinning around them and they're just hugging and it's weirdly like equally as emotional as the song, very intimate. It's a great video. But Mark, what do you think? Yeah, Don't Give Up is a great song. Um, I remember hearing it for the first time on uh, the Hits album because I did actually buy the Hits uh, before I went back and collected all of the rest of his discography. I had this record so actually on vinyl. Um, <clears throat> but I did think it was a little schmaltzy at first. And um, it's not to say that I didn't like it. I just wasn't ready for it. I don't think I was musically mature enough for it. Um, and I hadn't that angst filled heart was still clenched pretty deep. Um, but you know, reviewing it now and certainly in past years, the song is great. I mean, uh, Kate Bush, who people have said that Peter Gabriel is the male version of Kate Bush. I don't know if I have enough uh, background on Kate Bush to say yes or no on that. Um, but with Kate Bush's resurgence with uh, this last season of Stranger Things, um, it certainly has propelled her back into uh, the mainstream. And I'm glad that Gen Z uh, is knows who Kate Bush is. I love that. I, I, I think that's great. Um, but, you know, just some of the backstories, you know, people have gone up to Peter Gabriel and said, you know, I was ready to commit suicide. Um, uh, this song helped me go through that. And so even though it's a very political song, it has its many different interpretations. Even Sir Elton John said this song helped him get sober. Um, so it's anecdotes like that, that uh, you just know that this is a powerful song. Um, it I, touches I, a lot of people and uh, I'm one of them. I get the perception that like a song that's this overt, like unabashedly hopeful, uh, an emotional, um, without any vagaries or, or, you know, overly poetic lyrics that, that can look as, as being a little schmaltzy to some people. I get that perspective. I don't agree. I think it's actually brave. Um, and, and, you know, rather beautiful that he just lets it all out there and, uh, it makes it even more powerful. Yeah. And I do like the fact that it is a duet. You've got someone who's, um, essentially, you know, howling at the moon. And then you've got another person who's trying to purse that, uh, bring that person back down to earth. Like don't rest your silly head, that kind of thing. Um, I, I like the back and forth and Kate Bush's part on this is probably what makes this, uh, people really resonate with this particular song. Yeah. And after that, the pace picks up just a little bit for, um, what would be, if you're listening to this on Mark's vinyl, what would be the, the closer for side one, a uh, song called, that voice again. 
All right, this track is one of the few that is actually co-written by David Rhodes, who is the you know one of the main guitarists on this record. The rest of the crew, Tony Levin, uh, Maroda, they're all they're all still part of this song. So what this song itself is about is it's that voice in our head that can you know either help us or, or hurt us, um, or and you know possibly hold us back if we listen to it too much. Um, and I think we can all relate to that. Um, you know, musically, it's a jangly one. It's a warbly. It's 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 the most policey, I think, on the album. Um, but it does have a super catchy hook. Um, and while it's not maybe one of the biggest slappers on the album, it's a, it is still like a fun interlude. It's not as uh, high as the highest highs before it, uh, but it, le it lets you kind of take an emotional break, uh, and it's still a fun song. What do you think about this one, Mark? Uh this song kind of reminds me of a uh, like the intro part kind of reminds me of like a John Hughes movie um, for that time. You know, I know that Steve had talked about how Red Rain sounded very 80s, but still like current and not dated. You know, this one I do feel sounds just a shade dated, but I appreciate that's the charm in this song. Like I said, it reminds me of a Molly Ringwald walking through a um, uh, high school class hall, you know, that kind of feel in the beginning. And then it kind of goes into this kind of the police uh, ska type thing. Um, but what really sells this song is just the drumming. Um, it's very intricate. It's very propulsive. Um, it's not Peter Gabriel's best singing performance on this record, but uh, it's catchy. I mean, it, it, it works. And just like you said, Eric, it's not necessarily one that you're going to go to, but if it ends up you're, you're hearing, you're not going to skip it. That's my, that's my impression of the song. It does reward you for listening to it. Uh, in the end, the sonics just start swirling around your head and becomes bigger than it had any reason to be. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, uh, it's probably my least favorite song on the album, but it's not bad. Um, like Mark said, the drums are very dynamic at the end. They get really loud. Uh, there's some like plinking keys that are good. Uh, this song to me, like I said earlier, Red Rain sounds like a song from the 80s. This sounds like the 80s and not a bad way, but it definitely sounds dated. This sounds like a, it sounds like a song of Labyrinth to me. Um, the Labyrinth soundtrack. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's the sparkleness of it all. That's, well, that's yeah. a good way to put it. The sparkleness. It's not bad. This album needed at least nine songs, so they, they, it's on here. Uh, not bad. On to the next one. And the next one is Mercy Street. Point of order. Point of order. Uh, when this album first came out, the next one was In Your Eyes, but not for the version we listened to. That's absolutely. That? That's yeah, yeah. That's absolutely correct. They the order was changed. Some about fitting it on the vinyl. I don't know, Mark. What, what was going on with that? It was the no. What it was is that in your eyes had too prominent of a bass line, and so they had to because it was vibrating um, the rest of the track or something. If like you played it at the end, it would um, cut. It had something to do with phonograph needles, and that's why they had to reorder it. That's so insane. I didn't know. I it's, wasn't it's, that. It's, it's due to the the deep bass line of in your eyes. That's yeah. right, and that is bonkers. Imagine you know, having to you order your album based on that. Yeah, we'll talk about it at the end. You know what's funny is I just assumed I was like, oh, when this album came out, they didn't know that In Your Eyes is going to become a touchstone classic song. 
And when they remastered it and put it out, they put it at the end because it's a big close showstopper. No, Peter Gabriel <laughs> always wanted to close the album, but uh, because yeah. of the manufacturing uh, limitations on uh, that, they, they couldn't do it. All right. Well, in that case, let's walk on down to Mercy Street. Mercy Street is kind of the other side of the coin of Don't Give Up. It is a very empathetic song about suicide. Um, it's based on the writings of um, a poet, uh, Anne Sexton. And, you know, personally, I'm not familiar with her work. You're not familiar with Anne Sexton. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm showing my whole ass. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well... All jokes aside, Anne Sexton, uh, she did, she was a poet, she took her own life um, after she went through this like hypnosis therapy and it uh, uncovered um, kind of buried memories of childhood abuse. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made that joke I just made if I would have known all that heavy shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you certainly showed your true color, Stephen. Uh, but yeah, no, um, the song itself is um, Peter sings and his voice kind of goes in and out like a, like a ghost in a dream. And um, it's, it's really just empathetic. It's, it's exploring that idea that, you know, death can be an escape when life is so, so painful. And um, just empathetic to somebody who feels like that's their only, that's their only peace. That would be their only peace is, is death. Um, there's some big, ah, ooh, bass riffs, um, a cool program triangle going off to keep the pace. And um, like I said, the, those ghostly Peter vocals are, are amazing. Steve, what do you think? I think it's a really good song. Um, it's not a showpiece, but it's very, uh, there's a density to it. Even when there's, even when there's not a lot going on, like you said, when the bass comes in and it rumbles kind of like under throughout the rest of the track until the end, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, uh, the drums are low in the mix but they're consistent. It's a consistent song. It's not oppressive. It's just consistent. It's kind of like a rambler of a song, like a stroll of a song. Um, I do really enjoy it though. And I, I do like that whistling sound that comes in. Uh, I don't know exactly if it is a whistle or if it's just uh, some kind of, uh, I don't know, synthesizer, but it reminds me of music from Donkey Kong Country the 1994 Super Nintendo classic. And whenever I'm reminded of Donkey Kong Country, be it a Peter Gabriel song or some really cool sounding hold music when you call Kaiser, it puts me in a good mood. <laughs> so uh, it's a good song. And also it's a friend of the show, Sarab. It's his favorite Peter Gabriel song. I know that for a fact. He told me. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's also covered 
It's covered by a few people. I think it's covered by, let's take it back to the news of this shit. Oh, Fever Ray. That's right. Yeah. So Fever Ray, who have an album coming out soon, as we talked about earlier, covered this song because it's all connected, man. Yeah. And it even sounds like this is a tailor-made uh, blueprint for a Fever Ray type song, you know? Um. But Mercy Street for me, uh, I always was uh, attracted to that kind of whistling kind of wind sound along with the uh, triangle, like you had said, or in my mind, it's like spoons being knocked together. I guess it was recorded. Those are the the Donkey Kong sounds. Exactly. Um, It was recorded in Rio de Janeiro. Um, It was inspired by a Brazilian foro music. Um, And Peter Gabriel, when he was listening to a recording of it, he accidentally played it back at 10% slower than originally recorded and he kept it that way um and he actually had to record uh his harmony vocal right after he woke up because he couldn't hit that octave range um anytime else in the day um i wonder if that's why like on the um secret world tour he has songs the whole songs where he's laying down in a bed while he's singing maybe yeah wild um, he also told Mojo Magazine in 2013 that um, part of this whole idea, um, not only the Ann Sexton story, um, but he came out of experience that he had on a plane. Um, he was touring from uh, L.A. to Rio. It's about 100,000 miles or something like that. Um, it's not 100,000 miles. It's But he's traveled at least 100,000 miles from touring. And um, he was like flying in economy or something like that. And uh, one of the bass players from Earth, Wind and Fire was also on that same plane. And after they had took off, the plane developed something with the landing gear. And the pilot told us they had to fly over the Pacific and dump some fuel. Uh, Everyone got really scared writing farewell letters. And uh, Peter Gabriel even wrote some notes as well. Uh, The uh, bass player who was Verdeen White, he came back and said, um, uh, you better pray, brother. And uh, the pilot got us down. They got in Rio and then he met some drummer and worked on some ideas that came out of this experience. And uh, that's how Mercy Street was formed. So learning a little bit about the backstory of it um, definitely endears me a little bit more to this song. Yeah, Mercy Street was a nice surprise for me. Um, simple song, but his vocals and, and the the weight of this song just it makes it powerful. Um, it's slow and dreamy without being a dirge to the album. Um, and I think, you know, for anyone touched by suicide, it probably provides some kinship. Um, but anyways, it ends, it leaves you kind of gasping for breath as does its follow-up song, which leaves you gasping for breath in a completely different way. It's time for big time. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, uh, there was a little bit of an interruption in our recording session. Uh, we're meeting here now a week later because right when Eric was about to toss it to me to talk about the song big time, my internet went out Yeah, because 
I was experiencing some extremely strong winds. Uh, my internet provider, Comcast Xfinity, couldn't withstand those, and my internet went out for about an hour or two. And uh, we couldn't wait around for my internet to go back, so we had to reconvene at this very moment to finish talking about Peter Gabriel's So, And I believe Eric was going to ask me what I think of big time. Uh, and if I don't, well, close enough because we didn't listen back to where we left off. And so if this comes a little clunky transition, now, you know, a little bit of how the sausage is made. So thanks, Eric. Yes, big time. This is where I come in. Um, so big time is the third single off of, uh, you know, the album. So, and it's, it reminds me of another song that comes out years later, big in Japan. I don't know why, because they both obviously discuss that they're more famous or trying to hit fame with the big time or big in Japan. Uh, they don't sound anything alike. Uh, Big in Japan is a junkyard ballad by Tom Waits, who will cover later this season. Also nominated by tonight's host, Eric. Um, but Big Time, it uh, starts out with Hi There. That Hi There. Um, and then it kicks off into a video that's completely bonkers. It's kind of the precursor, the prequel to Peter Gabriel's Steam music video. We'll never, we'll never be the same after watching Steam. But it's, it's very, it's very much a sequel to Sledgehammer. Uh, I think. Very much, as as, very much. Yeah, as far as the, the tools used and the, and yeah, just the whole atmosphere of it. Yeah, uh, this is the introduction of the Funk Fingers. I think Eric talked about Tony Levin, the bass player, putting these apparatuses on his fingers in order to hit the strings as if they were um, drumsticks. Um, I'm sure he has other uses for his funk fingers, uh, but we can only ask his wife, but she does not return our phone calls. <laughs> yeah, if you've looked at the way that guy dresses, I mean, he's he's got a big old G. Gordon Liddy mustache and a G. Gordon Liddy uh, bald head, but then he's always wearing like, uh, you know, uh, a vest with a, some kind of uh, Middle Eastern uh, white, uh, very thin fabric type thing. He walks around barefoot all the time. He plays barefoot on stage. So you, you know that him and Sting are trading notes about how to uh, do things with uh, the significant others with the Funk Fingers. Well, that's for sure. Funk Fingers. Um, I mean, I would say about uh, good old uh, Tony Levin is that he always probably has um, three coins he can pull out of anyone's ear at any given moment. Street magician kind of <laughs> looked to him. <laughs> but big time, um, you've got this... You know, this is one for the people uh, versus one for the uh, weird introverts uh, that seems to alternate on this record. But big time, it's it's a good time. There's nothing wrong with this time of big being big, but it's clearly not hitting the high highs of Sledgehammer like another person on this show believes it to be. Absolute stupidity crossfire time. No. <laughs> Like it, it, big time to me, there are times where I think the big time is it's, Sledgehammer is a great song. We, we talked about it earlier, a masterpiece. I honestly, over the years, uh, you know, I 
I didn't become a born again or a, a or, or to, uh, discover the secret world religion until recently of how good Peter Gabriel really, really, really is. But I've always liked him. I never disliked him. And I've always thought Big Time might be the superior single. I brought that up. I've been shot down. I've been told I'm an idiot. But I, I mean, I've and been, not to cut you off, but Big Time does sound like the oh, like you just musical. Did cut me off, but go ahead. <laughs> It, it sounds like a montage cop movie. And it, I mean, I know that you're going to tell me that's a feature, not a bug. I was just thinking but, that I was like, I was like, that's what I would say. And the Mark's going to say, that's what I would say. Yes. <laughs> this, this podcast is basically, we could basically make this podcast a fucking AI thing now where we're just like, all right, put a couple facts in, and the episodes will spit themselves out of what these guys are going to say to each other. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, but it does, right? You have to agree with me on that, right? It's yeah, no, it's for yeah. It's, it, it sounds like James Woods and Michael J. Fox walking down the streets of Chicago, um, or uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines and Running Scared just trying on their undercover outfits. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, but I mean, like, I don't know everything. Everything about it, I think it's a it, it's a it had to be made in the eighties. It's uh, very much, you know, the 80s was the me decade and the everything is bigger decade. I think Peter Gabriel nails that on the head, even though he's kind of part of the he's not part of the problem because I feel like he knows what he's like. It's satire to an extent. He, he gets it. But now he's wearing big suits and it's kind of like, you know, this is this is another place where I think uh, talking heads and Peter Gabriel in the 80s intersect with some of the things they were doing, the things they were talking about. The song could be about how it could be him knowing he's going to hit it big, which is kind of narcissistic, but Hey, I don't know. But also, no, I think it's more just about like, Oh, living in the eighties, everything's bigger. And here we go. Uh, it might be a simplistic way to look at the song, but sometimes, you know, a duck is a duck. Um, but I, I just, you know, it doesn't need to be like, you know, some grand themes. It just needs to be a song about like, oh, it's, it's the 80s and everything's bigger and here we are. And it just sounds big. It moves fast. Uh, the, you know, the horns are good. That bass line is fantastic. Uh, Tony Levin's Funky Fingers are, they're doing it again. Um, and I, I just know that, uh, you know, I, I kind of like the fact that I think he knew he was going to be in the mainstream. I think he knew that some of these songs you were writing were, were going to be, it not, not, you know, I don't think he was like, I'm going to go five times platinum, but I think he could tell. He's like, I think that this is going to be music that resonates more than my other work. And this song kind of reflects that and speaks to that. And I, I just like, you know, uh, some of the lyrics in it are just, just ridiculous and great. You know, they're amazed when I show them around my house to my bed. I had it made like a mountain range with a snow white pillow for my big fat head. That's, that's great. Uh, he, he, even uh, he's taking a taking a little dig at himself um and that chorus just the the big time that's you can't can't deny that that's, that's fantastic oh my, my way yeah yeah it, it's, no it's the song blatant. is great like the song is great no no question your honor i'm just saying that it's not better than sledgehammer sledgehammer just has this fucking beat to it that it like infects your soul this one here like i'm like it's a good one but it's not one Sledgehammer. Thing, one thing, you know, Sledgehammer has the, uh, 
the the flute or whatever it is, the flute or no bow. Yep. Whatever we talking yes. about. Yes. Yeah. But one thing this one has is the little organ accents. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's uh-huh. the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those are um, those are great. <laughs> organ yeah. improvs. Yeah. Yeah. Organ improvs. Uh, I, I do think at the end of the day, if I were to add it all up, sit back and be like, all right, let's be honest with ourselves, Steve. Sledgehammer is probably the better song, but big time is right there next to next to it for me. So uh, I, you know, I think you're both right. Um, I do like Sledgehammer better, um, but listen, any song that like lampoons, the eighties, like wall street, yuppie culture uh, is all right in my book. Um, from anything from the dead Kennedys to gremlins Two, does it. Uh, and, 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 and I get excited enjoying that stuff. That's, and this, that's awesome, Eric. No, you're totally, you're totally on. Right and when, that, and when that was done in the eighties was awesome. And you're right. This code, this, this is definitely the dead Kennedys lyrically. That's the, the right. And that's big time. And, uh, and you know what? It does get your blood pressure up, uh, after, some beautiful but more ballady type tracks, and uh, and then it brings us towards our, I guess, our announcement uh, of the album towards the end here, and we have we do what we're told. Milgram's thirty seven. So. The background of this song is uh, let's look at that that uh, parenthesized uh, parenthetical. Uh, yeah, that Mil- Milgram's thirty-seven. So uh, Milgram and I remember, like, I got my bachelor's in psychology, and I didn't. You know, you can't get a job with a bachelor's in psychology, so I just got my teaching <laughs> certificate. But I, 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 I don't know why you guys went to college. I don't, you know. I know. Sure. It was it. It, it's college is a scam, but that's a whole nother podcast. But yes, yeah, college a- is a scam. But what what you learn about is Mil- you you learn about Milgram's experiment, and this is the one where um, you have uh, the subject is it's like uh, Bill Murray uh, in Ghostbusters. He's got the zapping. He's got the zapper box. Uh, so the subject is actually in the Bill Murray. The subject has a switch and. These volunteers come in and he asks them a question and every time they get it wrong, he gives them a zap. Uh, so every time, uh, so basically what the, what Milgram study was looking at, so what Milgram was looking at was the subjects, would they keep intensifying the shock or would they end the experiment once the, the volunteers were getting hurt by the shock? And, you know, what they found out is 65% of the subjects would keep giving the shocks all the way through the final round, no matter how much the actors were coming in pretending to be shocked, how much they were in pain. And uh, hence the title, We Do What We're Told. Um, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, almost instrumental track. It's got a great guitar tone. Uh, it's almost trip hoppy. Um, and it, sometimes it feels almost like an LP beat. Um, that's where my brain was going when I was listening to it. And then when the vocals do come in, they're huge and powerful. We'll do what we're told. Um, one wall, one truth, one dream. It just goes so big. This is a really cool track and it's perfectly placed in the album. And I love how it connects to that famous uh, Milgram's psychological experiment. It shows how 
probably inherently evil a lot of humans 65 percent of humans actually are um but steve what do you think about this one i've been telling you guys that uh part of my 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 big uh happiness from this peter gabriel uh dive is is in addition to the majority of all his work being good the majority of it is his first four albums, especially the third and fourth album, are really good. And you could slot those into uh, the late era Bowie um, Berlin trilogy kind of vibe. And this one definitely, I get that vibe. It's him kind of going back to his earlier works. It's pretty ambient. It's not verse, chorus, verse at all. Um, it's got some some lyrics in it, but it's not a, you know, it's, it's basically a, like two minutes of a, a buildup of slow, like Eno-esque type sounds and then just to like, we're do what we're told kind of chance it until it's done. Um, I think it's a cool song to have towards the end of the album and also on something that was going to sell a bazillion copies. It's a great that a song, this unique abstract is on a record that uh, many, uh, I don't know, soccer moms ended up buying. For sure, for sure. Mark, any any uh, additional thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I love this track. It starts out like it can find itself on uh, Radiohead's Kid A. I mean, it sounds incredibly ahead of its time. Even though, um, like Steve said, it's on a pretty commercial record. You know, Sledgehammer and Big Time were made for the radio. We're made for MTV. We're made to become these massive hits. Um, not to mention the last track on this album, In Your Eyes, which, uh, you know, was an, now a testament to every romantic comedy in the era that this album came out in. Um, anyhow, this song, I love how it, it uh, Peter Gabriel is still telling his fans, I'm not forgetting you for being weird with me and I'm still going to be weird, but I'm also going to be able to be selling records that fills arenas. Um, but inherently I'm here who I am. I, I just, uh, I love this song. Um, he even got people to do the song live. Um, you know, the, we do what you're told chant, um, to kind of put along, uh, what that Milgram's 37 experiment was all about. Um, he even asked, I don't know if Eric said this, I might have been off, uh, uh, headphones. He even asked that if he could use that same footage in live, but Milgram said no, because of the fact he didn't want that to be exposed as entertainment. That was something for like a psychological or sociological study. Um, so anyhow, um, love this song. I love how it's art rock on a very commercial selling record, just like Steve said. It's a good song. Definitely. And that will lead us into another, like, similarly bizarre track. This is the picture. Parentheses. Excellent birds. Spoilers. I really like this song. Let's take a, let's take a listen. Long words.
All right, so this is this is kind of like a mashup. This is a mashup song. It's uh, it's a very interesting addition to this record. Um, so he's got a different uh, cast of players on here. He's uh, it started with this jam with uh, I think friend of the show Nile Rogers, um, uh, playing guitar and doing some funk guitar, and then also friend of the show Bill Laswell, who did that awesome remix of Vessel by Nine Inch Nails. Um, and, uh, they, they rock out this pretty rad, uh, pretty rad jam. And then over it to kind of give it a lyrical, um, direction, uh, there's a song, Excellent Birds, which Ga- Peter Gabriel and Laurie Anderson, um, made for this, uh, this, this made for TV. It was like a multimedia art project. Yeah, I, when I read it, when I, when I read about it, it seemed like a uh, a 1983 version of a uni, was it Univision, where all these artists would come on and just do some kind right. of video or something. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah but exactly. I could, I could not, I could not find their contribution to save my life. I found the video for the song, but I couldn't find the original version they did for that performance. Me neither. Yeah, and that's um, that's Laurie Anderson, uh, and he was. Perform, they were collaborating to make the original Excellent Birds. That's where the vocals are coming from. And they're kind of like chopped and screwed throughout the album with some new stuff added over it. Um, you know, Laurie Anderson, I've heard about as being a pretty cool, like, out there artist. I have not personally listened to. I, I don't know if you guys have, have checked her out at all. I haven't. Uh, I mean, I've heard her no. name. She seems like she travels in circles of artists uh, that we respect. Um, I'm surprised that your wife didn't tell you all about her. <laughs> that's a good point it's a solid point well i was afraid to bring it up in front of her I, i've got an, i've got i'm in enough trouble right now eric um, would have to sleep in the attic <laughs> if he asked yeah you eric come on we've talked about this you you know about the uh the three diaries of my cousin from amsterdam her first three albums those are very well known uh, masterpieces Um, it's an excellent song. I, I don't know how else to put it. Um, it sounds to me, um, I've listened to this album quite a lot in the last couple of weeks going into this recording. And it sounds like a Rube Goldberg contraption, you know, things kind of falling into one hole and it slides down into another. That's how the rhythm really resonates for me. Um, it's, it's like a plain made by Goofy from the Disney cartoon trying to take off. And again, it's a feature, not a bug. I just like how it just, you know, I think we've talked about the word spronky. It's got some spronkiness to it. Um, I know what you mean. I actually thought this one sounds the most similar. It, it sounds like a Talking Heads song. Yeah, I was going to say bit, remain, right? remain, remain in Light. I thought it felt so, the most similar to like, uh, you know, Born Under Punches or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because um, I could picture David Byrne in the big suit with big shoulders doing this song. Um, I, I, I really enjoy this song like quite a bit. I think that uh, again, even though Peter Gabriel is really trying to swing for more ticket sales, maybe live, 
and really trying to put on this multimedia performance like he always has, but he still has one foot into art rock. And uh, that's what makes him, that's the difference right there between him and Phil Collins. If you ask me, no, no hard, no, no uh, harping on Phil Collins. Like we had said, he's a force for good, but this is the differentiator between lumping him into a group like Billy Joel and Phil Collins and uh, Elton John. I feel like he's not a fucking Billy Joel fan. Uh, hey I, need man. To, I need to play this the river of dreams uh, once again for you <laughs> hey i i can absolutely have one foot in one uh one tribe and the other foot in the other tribe jed has um, locked up all of his ribbons uh so that <laughs> the routine do you need little... me to do actually film a floor exercise for you and post it i apparently i need to just exercise the listeners, this demon the listeners, somehow listeners need to need to see it yeah it's they're they're clamoring for it but uh steve steve excellent birds yeah did we talk about the song and like mark said almost everything already i would have said he brought up the whole talking heads thing it definitely has that whole spronky vibe to it and also the uh, tone of the synths is like it sounds like a like an, a wooden instrument uh, or maybe it really is i don't know if it's a keyboard or if it's a if they're actually uh, blown into something there um yeah, it's a it's a it's a really good song, and also, you know, it's it is pretty amazing that they they made it the closer when the album couldn't handle the bass of In Your Eyes, which is funny. So in, in the uh, the mutated version of the album, talk about a strange track to end your album, but I pre- I appreciate it. But then also, I like having it come right behind the last song. We do what we're told because they're both kind of weird. This one's still more. Uh, musical and still more of a song but it's also still a weird song this is not something like you're not going to turn this on and have it be a top 40 hit i like that um that's a good track it's it's i this album is very balanced in a a great way to where extremely crowd-pleasing music then uh extremely overly sentimental songs like the closing track and uh don't give up and then art rock it's a it's a pretty cool blend at that time so but what was on every version of the album albeit in different order is our closer in your In Your Eyes brings together all the players of the album and, and some additionals. Um, you've got your Larry Klein, Tony Levin, Jerry Moroda, David Rhodes, who's been on a lot of the tracks on this, Richard Tease playing, playing piano. You've got Manu Kache playing drums and percussion. And then you've got the first of what will be many collaborations between Peter Gabriel and Yasao Ndor who was a popular African pop singer. Um, and you, you've got this, this song, uh, which is, I mean, 
this one is probably etched in pop culture as, as Steve and, and Mark have both alluded, um, you know, thanks to its appearance and say anything, which is actually a movie I like, I like rather well, uh, it's a good Cameron movie. It's a good, yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Cameron Crowe's like a kind of a hot and cold director, but his, his, his good ones are really good. And in and this household, this Vanilla Sky is an amazing movie. I rewatched it. I rewatched it last weekend. Yeah, I, I, it, yeah, it's, it's this movie's good. fucking lame. <laughs> Steven. Uh, Steven. <laughs> Tread lightly. Tread lightly. Reason, I, don't, I don't know. You know, we, we all like we stick things in certain buckets. For some reason, I always put Vanilla Sky in the same. I don't know why. What's that Robin? That Robin Williams movie where he dies and paints Um, what dreams may come. <laughs> Not even close. Not the same. Bike. Eric, cut his mic. Cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. Uh, well, anyways, uh, say anything. Great use in that. It's been parodied many times. John John Cusack holding a, a, a boombox in the air to get the attention of uh, the love of his teenage life. Uh, but in beautiful, uh, one of those beautiful acts of pop culture poetry. Uh, during Peter Gabriel's last tour, uh, I believe it was when he was doing the New Blood tour, when he played the uh, the Hollywood Bowl, um, I uh, John Cusack came out and held up a boombox for the encore when they when they started playing this song. So uh, gotta love that. Gotta love that. You have to. You have to. You have to. Um, but you know, it's an important song, and it's a it's a fun closer. It, it definitely starts as a ballad. Um, we've got your 80s production quality there, but the uh, the lows hit hit pretty low and the percussion sounds cool, like you would expect from a Peter Gabriel song. Um, and it's a beautiful love song. All my instincts, they return, the grand facade, so soon will burn without a noise, without my pride. I reach out from the inside. And it's just when you're connecting to somebody and, this this kind of face you put out for the whole world goes away when you feel like you can be yourself with somebody. It's it's uh, you know, it's wonderful. And um, it. Uh, it it builds and towards the end, it, it starts as a ballad and towards the end, the drums start kicking the um, acapella vo- vocals in your eyes start going and it becomes this sing along um, the the African pop music kicks in. The um, Yasaunador chanting uh, goes nuts, and this becomes that world music Peter Gabriel mixed with that kind of weirdo '80s pop. It just is a good amalgamation of what makes Peter Gabriel great, in this man's opinion. Um, and I'm sure Steve's got something to say about In Your Eyes. Yeah, that's uh, In Your Eyes is great. It's a uh pop culture touchstone. Um, I mean, because it's used so well in that movie. I mean, I've honestly sat there and debated, should I reenact this for my wife? I, I don't think she'll give a shit, but uh, you know, I can't be the first husband that's debated doing that. Um, but where are you going to find a boom box these days? Physical media doesn't exist. Uh, Thanks to me. Yes, that's it. The Burgermeister over there. Um, but th- this song, you know, even though it's a very popular, easy listening song, like Eric said, still the way the piano and the guitar kind of like work together and the big thudding drums at the end, 
it's not uh, it's not basic at all. Even though it's here. hits is a great song it's a four quadrant song i mean it, it's yeah mix 96 parents uh rem fans art rock nerds and probably goth kids all had this in their collection because of this song uh it kind of nods to the world music that he's going to go in a bit more of a direction there with the the openness and the airiness and the drums everything and uh that gentleman who you brought up earlier that uh what was he from south africa eric or who was that again Yes, out door. Yeah, he's an African yeah. pop. Uh, so did superstar. he? Did he? Was he popular because of the song, or was he already well known? Or he already was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and another part of this track that I always love is the that 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 <laughs> the flute that just kind of peeps. You, you guys know what I'm talking about there. The 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 mild flute usage in this track. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the genius it, the genius of this track is that he was able to, I mean, two years after the album came out, it was, it was popularized quite well in a a movie, but it fits well on this record. And it also points in the direction he's going to go in becoming more worldly, even more so than he already was to my ears. It's it's a good song. Well, well, well worth the uh, accolades it gets. I, I do not think it's overrated. It's a good track. Uh, fun fact, uh, Yasao Nador uh, was, uh, so uh, Senegal mm. is the country in Africa where he's from. He was the minister of tourism, as well as being a massively successful pop artist there. So there you go. Mark, in your eyes. It's one of the all-time classic endings of a record, even though it wasn't on the end of the record for the vinyl version because of that prominent baseline. Um, I mean, this fucking track, man, it gets me out of the three of us. How the fuck was this not played at any of our weddings? I mean, it's an all fucking time song. I mean, I, when I look back on this, I, I, my last <laughs> dance, my, my dance with my wife was lay lady lay by Bob Dylan. I wasn't at this fucking song. I know. Um, mine was uh, the last dance was uh, you know come sail away by sticks at mine. Uh, we didn't we didn't dance till later because we had no music at the wedding. We had music at the after party. Uh, no, it was it was the ship song. So I take the uh, crown tonight for the guy that did it right. Anyway, for sure, yeah. for sure. Well, I think we all just need to re- renew our vows with each other and with our wives and, <laughs> at the and, same and, ceremony. And, and, yeah. and your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Everything sounds so bright on this song. Um, it's uh, it's a weird video. I mean, it's not the best. Um, it doesn't necessarily hold the emotional resonance that this song contains. I mean, uh, you have Peter Gabriel kind of uh, with his dentist haircut. Um, you know, he's 
he's not exactly, you know, lighting up the, the, uh, the radar guns when it comes to being a sexy male. <laughs> he, he doesn't give a shit. He's a, that guy is all about body movement and singing about kissing the frog. He can have all yeah. the dumb haircuts he wants and goatees. So. <laughs> That's the truth. Um, but I love this song. I mean, I love how it closes out. I mean, it makes me feel emotional if I've been having a few and, uh, even when I'm not having a few, like it, it definitely sends me off into the middle distance. It's, it's, it's such a great song. I love this closer. What a, what a song. And there you go. So closes out. It's what? 10 songs of, uh, weirdo eighties pop, uh, that appeals to all four quadrants and, it turns everybody's attention and ears to the uh, world music of, of uh, South America and Africa. It's it's quite an album and, and regarded as much by many, many people, which we already went over. But as far as we go, I guess the, the, the question would be, um, how many pounds of the sledgehammer, how many, how many hits, how many, how many sledgehammers would you give? So, and we'll start with you, Steve. 4.5, 4.5 pounds of the sledgehammer. Uh, it's a near perfect record. Uh, it came out in 1986. It doesn't sound dated, even though it very much sounds like the eighties. Like you can tell it was written in the eighties and it was recorded in the eighties, but it doesn't sound dated in the way that some music from that time sounds. There's still a lot of very uh, forward thinking sounds and techniques of how they recorded the music. There's enough different song styles are on here where the album never becomes boring. Um, I don't give it a five just because I, I don't think it's perfect. I, uh, I, you know, it's just they, they could have maybe resequenced some things or, you know, developed a few ideas further on uh, like a song like we do what we're told, even though I think it's supposed to sound unfinished. Um, but still, I mean, 4.5, that's about as it's, that's, that's a near perfect album. So really enjoy it. I've enjoyed my time with it. I've listened to it a bazillion times since we decided we were going to record about it. Mark, how many pounds for the sledgehammer? So Peter Gabriel's so album, um, not only hits a single, a double, triple, it hits a five bagger for me. Five point Oh, five out the, of five. It goes for the in the World Series. It goes for a cycle is what it's done. <laughs> yes, I think this album is a perfect record from start to finish. I love how it's able to um, do commercialism with art rock in such a strong songwriting way. I think Peter Gabriel is a very underrated artist. I know that in this writer's room, we've talked about the fact that he's not exactly Robert Palmer. He's not Huey Lewis, but I feel that sometimes he gets lumped in with those two artists. And I think that he is so much stronger, so more artistic. And he feel, I feel like this is the, the pinnacle of his career three and four, was leading up to this moment. This is where he peaked. 
this is where he reached perfection. Um, it's a classic record for, for uh, a lot of reasons. And I think that uh, he just, he nails it. This album is one of my favorite albums of all time. Every song can strike a, an emotional reaction out of me. And I think that's what makes Peter Gabriel so good. So good. And it is personified on this record right here. 5.0. I agree with everything yeah. Mark said, except I don't know why I needed to besmirch Huey Lewis, but that's fine. There's no besmirching Huey Lewis. I mean, he's written some hits, but I feel that he might be another underrated artist, you know, that might be lumped I, I, in. I, I, I know the point you're trying to make. I just, uh, I, I, I feel that, you know, the, the real criminal criminal here is Robert Palmer who had like two decent songs and, uh, Huey Lewis has a little bit more depth to him, but anyhow, I, I digress. So I'm with Mark five hard, <laughs> hard pounds of that sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, this, this one is good. Like, like I, we've been talking in the writer's room and when we decided to swap out this album, uh, I mean, I had been in this Peter Gabriel, like black hole for most of this year. And, um, so many of his songs are now like have fallen into my all time, like my regular playlists and, and I'll go back to them often. There's um, a reason for that. And, uh, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about our general idea about his discography in a second. I'll tell you why that is, Eric. I yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. But um yeah, no, this is and I think it is a perfect album. I think even if you look at like say like that voice again, which could be arguably like the lowest uh the lowest ranking song on this album, it is still a good song. It's catchy, it's interesting, and it gives you a little breather in between absolute bangers that take your breath away. And those need to be there. Um, it's solid. And like Mark said, uh, it's emotional and it gets my eyes a little dusty more than most music does. And the production, it sounds like an 80s album, like Steve said, but it takes you on a ride like a lot of 80, 80s albums don't. And even modern albums don't. It, it Peter Gabriel, in, in addition to wanting to tell stories of the world, to sing about the plights of people, uh, you know, and the abuses that are happening in other countries. He also wanted to revolutionize sound production and, and uh, use the top of the line technology and mesh that with catchy, perfectly written pop songs. And that's why your ears will be just uh, have a cinematic experience without this whole album and all of his albums. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. But no. can't wait to hear where he's going next. IO coming out this year. First song is uh is is definitely um you know has my hopes up, so we'll see. Um but uh thanks guys. Thanks for going on the journey. I think yeah, we're all better sure. for it. I think I think I, I have to I, I have take, to say go ahead, Eric. I was gonna say I think I, I can take credit for enriching all of our lives. By including Peter Gabriel, I was just gonna, gonna fucking compliment <laughs> you until you patted yourself in the back. <laughs> Jesus Go Christ! On. I was, I was Eric, fucking kidding. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I can't tell with you sometimes. But no, I, I think that uh, it, it was very, very cool to change things up and do the Peter Gabriel dive. And like I said, to just being 
42 years old now. I was like, this is exactly what I need. This is pathetic that this is ringing so true for me right now, but that's fine. So, yeah, you know, sometimes you, you need you need what you need. And apparently I needed Peter Gabriel and all his steam. So <laughs> stand back. It, it, it's funny, too, because like you guys were texting me like, oh, fucking Peter Gabriel. Blah, 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 this is great. And I was I, I didn't get around to it yet. And I was like, oh, my God, it can't be that good. These guys are stupid. And I listened to it. Like, oh, this, is, this guy's pound for pound. This is quality all the way through. Well, I'm going to eat my hat. So <laughs> happy. I, I didn't think he was ever bad, but I was like, is it really that good? Is it really the second coming? And I was like, ah, it might be. You know, there's a reason he was tied to the Passion of the Christ, whatever it was, or the Last Temptation. It was uh, <laughs> not the Passion of the Christ. Yeah. I, <laughs> seek, there's a sequel to that coming soon. So. No, I'm telling you, Peter Gabriel is the truth, man. Like he's he's not messing around. He's good stuff. Underrated, well, if you ask me. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. No, I, I think that he should be uh, appreciated more. I don't know if it's because he's taking a lot of layoffs or if it's because he's so associated with the 80s. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. But I don't you know, we don't need to just uh, metrically. He should be at least in the conversation of your David Bowie's, uh, your your Lou Reed's, your uh, your David yes. Burns. Yes, he should be in the same yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Well, guys, uh, let's go ahead and roll our next album. Uh, see if this one is also on that Mount Rushmore. Not that Mount Rushmore, because that's the Mount Rushmore of like proto alternative but uh we have so much other stuff to cover in this we have some hip-hop we've got some classic rock i mean there's a lot to cover in this season so let's see what's i know next. we got it i don't know how much is left i mean the last few things we've, we've been listening to a lot of like like an abstract shit lately i i would appreciate something just more rock and roll so let's let's see where we go meat and potatoes sure Oh, look at that. That's a five. What's a five, Mark? So what we got there is an album released in 1979. It is a pick from our friend Steven. It is the album Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, look at that. Well, the, I don't want to have, I'm not excited to edit an episode. And I wouldn't say he's meat and potatoes, but uh, you don't get much more. The, the the heart of rock and roll is still beating. And I know that's not a Bruce Springsteen song, but uh, definitely he's the one that it helps keep that heartbeat going. So that's, that's fun. The boss. Fantastic. All right. The boss. The boss is up. Let's uh, let's drive through that Jersey Turnpike and uh, <laughs> uh, that last chance power drive. I mean, you want to you talk about, you know, being middle aged in the things you think about when the, the rest of your family goes to sleep at night. And are you good enough? Well, that's a fucking whole Bruce Springsteen's goddamn document. His whole know, life but story. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think this is a good like back to back. You know, Peter Gabriel being from the UK was kind of a man of the people. Now let's see the U.S. version. 1981. Right. Of, um, and also, this is fitting because they both uh, both 
both the soul patch. They both have rocked the soul patch. Right. right. So. Yes. Yes. I don't think Bruce has been on a Disney movie yet, but uh, there's still time. There's still, still time. time. There's, there's still time. All right, guys. Well, well done. Uh, thank you for taking taking Peter Gabriel seriously and giving him the attention he deserves. I knew you would. And uh, let's have fun with Bruce. Let's let's have fun with the boss. Bruce. A lot of saxophones. Get ready for him. We hope that we brought you closer to Frog. What do you think? I think you did that one already for a tool, but I'll take it again. We hope That's that we brought you closer to <laughs> Sledge. I don't know. What well, what is it? Both of them, both of them are sexual innuendos. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, that is true, Rhodes. That is true. We'll see you next time on our next episode where we talk about the boss. Bye-bye. Good night. Sorry about myself. Well, we hope you enjoyed that behemoth of a track and, and found some appreciation or shared love of Peter Gabriel. Um, hey, if you like what you heard here today and you want to throw us a, you know some coffee money, uh, throw us a, a little tip for the, the work we put into that. We always appreciate that. Go to coffee.com slash pod like a hole. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com slash pod like a hole. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.